much everybody for inviting us over to Sedona. Um, David came to Sedona a few years ago, I think, and um, I myself came with Jeffrey and Susanna right after we finished the filming of the movie. We basically filmed for a month and then we flew direct from the site to here to be part of the Sedona Illuminate Film Festival. And that was the only time we came here, but it feels so nice to to come back to actually show the movie mm. here to you go to you all. And um, yeah, I just feel such a strong call from from Lynn and Anthony because we are having this thought in mind to have this kind of movie weekend next year. And then Susanna called me saying this request is a request to say ASAP, come ASAP. <laughs> so I said, okay then, let's do it mid-December because uh, we just finished the Holland big week, so we said mid-December. And David on that day was flying across the ocean from Portugal to Dallas, I mean Atlanta or somewhere, and he sent me an itinerary on November 8th. So I thought, okay then, that's, that's the spirit time schedule. ASAP means November. <laughs> so here we are. And um, yeah, it just feels such an honor and so feels so good to be here with you all. And this weekend, um, it just seems to unfold into this format. Um, feels really a, a good conducive format to help the mind um, receive the context of of this message. Um, and then we will probably have some kind of experiential exercise this afternoon, just so that it's, it's not all just conceptual. We can actually participate before we even um, watch the movie, we really can have an experience of what it means to be authentic, what it means to really allowing um, our deeply buried thoughts to come up and to feel the safety of it. Then we will launch into the movie this afternoon and tomorrow we have a full day. Um, we'll have Q&A with the panel because we realized after watching the movie people really want to talk to the cast because the cast really reflects back their own um, awakening journey and they, they relate so much to the characters. So tomorrow morning we will have time for that and then in the afternoon we have more time to, to drive the mind even deeper with Q&As and closing. So this is a, a light blue structure of, of this weekend. So. It's beautiful to it's such a nice intimate group and, and Sandra, thank you for inviting us to a beautiful space here for us to share. We do like these uh, intimate settings because there's such a, a stillness and a relaxation that allows us to go very deep within and come to that deep, deep experience. And I think that's really what everybody really wants regardless of even what they talk about in their heart, the prayer of their heart is to have this deep experience of connectedness, of love, of joy.
And uh, yeah, I've come through this area so many times. Um, it just always, both Sedona and Albuquerque, Flagstaff, you know, coming across, I was kind of doing loops around the United States in the early years, kind of like Peace Program used to walk around the continental United States and up through Canada, walk with the seasons, I would do pretty much the same. And, and it feels great to have four sessions, four three-hour sessions to really dive deep together. And um, we were, not too long ago, we were up in Northern California and uh, the idea to go to my friend Judy Scutch Whitson's uh, house, right to her living room. She actually had had a fall and was about 86 years old and so she was in a wheelchair, but I said, well, we'll come to you then, we'll come right to your uh, living room. And so we watched it and she was sitting right next to me so I could listen to her sighs and, and breathing during the movie. That was kind of fun. And Judy's got she just listening in, ah, oh, and so on and so forth. And then at the end of the movie, she said, oh, I saw myself in all the characters. All the characters were playing out different parts of my life. So it was kind of fun. It was almost like a life review uh, where you could go, oh yeah, revisiting, oh yeah, remember that. And then all of us would want to have that life review from a place of being feeling, feeling healed and whole so we could smile at all the different parts and aspects of our journey and with acceptance and love. With gratitude, with thank you, oh, thank you. You played your part so well. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> and, you know, that's the way we want to have a life review. Not a, not one of turmoil and difficulty, but of gratitude and joy. Thank you for teaching me this lesson. Thank you for showing me what I needed to forgive. And thank you for the gift of showing me that. So I feel very grateful that we have uh, this weekend, and because it's intimate, we should we have uh, two mics. We can use one of the mics for questions and answers or comments, and I think that will help help us all spring deeper because we all are in this together, and we love the experience of um, just coming to that happy, joyful feeling where everything in your mind becomes integrated. So there's no lost aspects or no unconscious aspects anymore. They all can be allowed fully to come into awareness, into the light, and and then to be bathed in that beautiful light. And we know that that's, that's our pathway, is bringing the darkness to the light and, and gently watching the darkness disappear, dissolve. So, there's so many inroads to go at that, but actually we were talking this morning about relationships uh, because wherever we go, it's really answering a call. And uh, I think that's certainly with Lynn and, and Anthony, you know, relationship theme is a big one. It's a very important one. And it's something we all can relate to. And it's something that's very, very central to the movie. It's also very central to the book of Course in Miracles. It's actually a pathway to God using relationships. And there's one part of the Course where Jesus actually says, 
this course has everything that you need. So it's like, it's kind of like the complete package where all the pathways to God in some way or another approach forgiveness or releasing illusions, releasing the false. And there's many uh, tremendous non-dual pathways and many wonderful teachers throughout the centuries. This is just more of an updated version using some Christian language, some psychological language, some education language, but and also really including the topic of relationships and using the opportunity of healing through relationships, which oftentimes in some mystical traditions, there's so much emphasis on meditation, silence, and so much of it, really a reliance on rituals and different things that that I think uh, with Jesus he was saying, well, don't miss the most obvious one. Uh, you're all dealing with relationships, and you, if you're honest, you'll admit that you've got some issues coming up uh, during those. And uh, Lynn picked us up at the airport, Phoenix airport, and we had a nice couple hours to talk about it, and I was saying, yeah, I think that's what's fantastic about this, is we, we can include the mirroring it goes on in relationships, and we know that that can be a very steep road. Uh, it can it can be very intense. The emotions are extremely intense. And um, wow, if we had recorded that talk on the way up and put it out on speaker, that would be a popular <laughs> one because uh, there are those that have taken a route like you did with meditation, vipassana, and there's. Uh, then gotten involved in relationships with this little inkling like, watch it here, this is really steep. Uh, you could go off the deep end if you, you call it the relationship loop. <laughs> if you get caught up in one of those relationship loops, it could be, could be a major detour. And uh, you could go off the cliff, you might have to come, seem to come back again to try it another time because the emotions are so intense. But maybe we can just open up with talking about that context for the movie and also for the healing with all of us, because that's a great inroad. Yeah, I mean, I was just sitting here because um, David, we were talking this morning, he gave me a little heads up about Sedona being the capital of the world. I, I call it the New Age capital of the world. <laughs> no place comes close. It's so, you know, like um, people are very open-minded um, and and also because of that, there are just all kinds of um, pathways or inroads that seem to lead to, to the ultimate experience. But there are so many different pathways. And I just um, was sitting here thinking about the course, how the course even got started. It really is through a relationship. Helen and Bill, they, they were um, research psychologists in Columbia University. They worked together as colleagues. And they one day, Bill basically just said, I'm so tired of this nasty attitude that everybody has toward each other. The way that they talk about each other behind their backs, the way they treat each other, I'm tired of that. There must be another way. And Helen said, I don't know the other way, but I'm joining you in finding it. Then later on, she said, the course. 
seems to be the other way. So basically, it is through a joined prayer. It's not one person, but it's a joined prayer in finding this other way of start to have this different attitude. This attitude that 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 offers love. That is not about just a tag and a tag and a tag. It's very simple, very practical. How it came then. Um, when we show the movie at Judy's house, it just happened that I didn't have any chance to set it up. I somehow, after making this movie, I thought I need to set this movie up because it itself is not a full-on documentary where there's a lot of talking heads. They explain every scene about what's going on, what is a course of miracles. As a matter of fact, a course of miracles is not mentioned at all in the movie, but it's 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 a it's a whole experience. It's a different kind of documentary. It really just documented a group of people who devoted their life to the teachings, and as they go about it in such an authentic way,、um, things unfolded. Healing happened. Relationship heals. They discover the treasures in their heart, and it just all unfolded in front of the eyes of the camera of the filmmakers. And then now it can be unfolded. It can unfold on in front of the audience, but there is no real、uh, plan. So because of that, I just feel this this desire to set the movie up before anybody watch it. But at The foundation for the inner peace, Judy and her staff at home. I didn't have the chance to set it up in any way. So basically, I arrived two minutes before the movie started. I sat down, we watched, and I'm I didn't even know the, a lot of the people in the room, and I was thinking, I wonder what they think <laughs> <laughs> throughout this. Those are the people who publish A Course in Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the people who basically have the authority to to pull the course to explain the course. <laughs> But after that,、um, we were so heartwarming because they were they were all affected so deeply, a lot of tears. And But one thing I really felt、um, very grateful was I remember I remembered they actually brought the course into everybody's heart. Through the very same method, they didn't have a plan. They only started head and bill. They bring the course into their lives. Then, by the time they finish, they heard in their mind. They give it to the one who can publish it, who can go for the next step. That's where they met Judy, and the four of them, Ken, Judy, Helen, and Bill, they just came together to pray. Every step along the way, how many books to print, how many to publish. Then Judy carried all the way, one step at a time, with zero plan. So in a way, being guided is a living experience for their whole life since they got the course. So they, it's it's not a book to them. It's really not a book to them. It's their whole life 
is living like this. So Jesus' teachings in the Course is completely alive. You know, they pray, they go about, and they see the fruit of it. So that's that's what I think of what a Course Miracle teaches, and that's what I think uh, about this movie that we're going to show this afternoon. That's what I think about the relationship. Like the relationship coming together is so essential for Jesus's plan, and it ultimately is is essential for our internal experience, for our awakening, to join in such a way. So yeah, and I was also even thinking about Judy's late husband, uh, Bill. Is that no? William Whitson. We met him. I think I only met him once, but we had a little um, um, connection because I'm from China. He speaks Chinese, um, so he was trying to talk to me. And he's 90 years old. And Chinese. He was with the United Nations ambassador to, the United, to China from the United States. Yeah. And that was such an amazing story about his life because before he met Judy and of course he was he worked in the Pentagon or he he was some kind of uh, represent American representative who, who actually went to China to meet with Mao Mao Zedong. So that was in the 1970s, and I think that was probably the first American congregation to ever visit the communist China. So he went there, and um, I think you told me the story, David, that when they were there, Mao died. Yeah, Mao died before uh, they could meet him. <laughs> so Quint uh, showed me a photo of him standing with an open casket, and Mao is laying <laughs> in the casket. And I said, well, it was close. <laughs> but that was a of these amazing stories because uh, they were part of an American delegation that was invited over there, which is very, very rare to meet Mao, and because uh, Mao is such a huge figure for them, and then he passes away, he's there, and then the Chinese government, um, I don't know if anybody of us could imagine, it's one thing when JFK, when John F. Kennedy was, was assassinated, but JFK wasn't quite like Mao. Uh, it would be like Queen Elizabeth uh, dying, or you know, something that, that we can't really even fathom how important it is because Mao was so central. But uh, the Chinese, they didn't know what to do. They were just in complete disarray when Mao passed away, and so uh, they had this American delegation there, and. Uh, they had no clue what to do with them, so I think they, they sent them out to Siberia and put them out on the streets uh, because they were so flustered. They like, what do we do with them? And uh, and so Witt, who before he left uh, the United States to go over there, he had such a warm spot in his heart, and he was saying to Jesus, I could, oh, I would so love to go back to China. So. He got to China, all right, and he ends up out, I think it's Siberia, out in the, yeah, on the streets. And he'd been diagnosed with cancer before he left. So there he was, out in the streets, uh, no warm clothing, 
uh, diagnosed with cancer, and uh, he was sitting with us, and I just was ready to cry when I heard his story, because he was like, he was there on the streets, and he was just going, thank you, Jesus. What a great life I've had. I got I had all those decades of, of service to my country, and I love China. A little whim, you get me, you let me come back to China again, you let me meet Mao, even though <laughs> pretty close. He might have not been technically Jesus, but technically I, I, I got you to meet him. <laughs> Don't put too much into bodies. Dead, alive, you know, it's not so, so important to me. And then he just said, thank you for my life. I just love you, Jesus, and I just am so grateful. Thank you for my life. And then he paused and he said, oh, and if there's anything else I can do for you, Jesus, I'm your man. Jesus got him out of there, off the streets, got him back, got him married to Judy Scutch. And it's been decades more translating the course into 20, some 27 languages after that. So watch out with that prayer. You say, you could be way down now. And if we were visiting another friend of mine who, her one of her parents was from China. Yeah. Gia was there with me too. And when he was telling Gia and I the story, Gia just burst into tears and went racing out to the bathroom because it was so impactful for her too, with a parent from, from China. But that's what we mean by these are living experiences. We're here to embrace the love, embrace the actual experience of this love of Christ. And, and then... Yeah, I think we can talk quite a bit, too, about the guidance, because actually, you know, the way the Course came along, too, without Sigmund Freud and all of all of psychology that was developed over the years, Freud and, and his daughter and, uh, you know, many, many great uh, psychologists that came, uh, Carl Jung, uh, Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, and on and on, Francis Vaughn, who just passed away, I believe, and Roger Walsh, her husband, on and on and on. We have a whole tradition, and the Course uses psychology language. So it could not have come about until that uh, whole area of field of study had happened. And then education, of course, has been around for, for many centuries, and then Christianity has been around for many centuries. So if you blend those three vocabularies, those three vernaculars together with hugely deep non-dual teachings, then you have the appearance of something that we can appreciate, we can relate to as a course of miracles. I often felt when I first saw the book, because I had been 10 years in university, I had graduate studies in psychology, I was in the College of Education during grad school as well, and I was raised in Christianity, that when it landed and I first popped it open, I felt like a tsunami of love go over me, which is kind of like, okay, now it's in your language. This is in English. This is using all the traditions that you know, like the back of your hand. And as soon as it whooshed over me, I remember just having this feeling like, well, now I have no excuse at all. I have no excuse. I, I must be going to wake up in this lifetime because Jesus is serving it on a silver platter with uh, 
with strawberry and whipped cream and, and his wool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Will you uh, apply this and follow me? Now, yes. Yes, I see. I have no excuse now. This is, is that was like really strong, simple. And also, there was a time when I was with Judy Sketch, and she she went in the back, always having lunches with her over the years, seven or eight times, and then she went in the back, and she came out with one of these early, early, Jesus called them, little special messages that he had given to Helen, and she had it on a piece of paper, and she handed it to me, and she said, oh, this is what we got way, way, way back at the very beginning. And... It was a message basically saying the original four that you mentioned, Francis, they were praying and they were saying, can you tell us a little bit about the plan? You can imagine these big black binders, you know, research psychologists, and, and they're all just like, what is going on? What does this even mean for, for our lives? And what is the plan here? And basically the message was saying, I can't really tell you much about the plan because it involves the people who have not even been born yet. And, and certainly all of us can relate to that. Imagine trying to, to get a premonition or some kind of future orientation and the people haven't even been born yet. So it's like, it will freak you out. Yeah, it will freak you out. And, but just trust that this is the beginning phase and that the, the the core uh, curriculum of the course will emerge after the, an initial phase. And I have to say, we're now, we're now into the core curriculum. In fact, um, we're so far into the core curriculum that I started with the course in 1986, and now in 2019, we are so far into the core that now the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, like for example in Holland and uh, and recent online retreats, I'm starting to really bring in quantum physics a lot because there's a lot of people. That's another science that has been, I would say, emerging clearer and clearer over the last maybe seven or eight decades. So quantum physics goes back that far, you know, splitting the atom and starting to get into the subatomic particles and then the findings of the first group of, we'll say, call them quantum scientists or quantum, quantum physicists were so shocking that they didn't want to publish them for their colleagues because they thought they would be thrown out of the field of science for fear of losing their career because the, the findings were so shockingly different than what I'll call Newtonian, mm -hmm. Isaac Newton. The, the science that all of us were raised with mm -hmm. was transcended completely. Completely, completely, not partially, completely in quantum mechanics and quantum physics. So recently I was doing a, a weekend called Purpose is the Only Choice, which is a booklet that I did years ago to really clarify the course. And somebody said you should make a little pamphlet that people can put in their back pocket and go off to the mountains with. And I put this little booklet together back around 1994. And it is so deep. I think it's kind of like when Jesus first came to uh, teach on, on planet Earth. You know, a lot of his teachings, he, he had to speak in parables because 
talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The hand is very close. <laughs> but to speak about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, back 2,000 years ago when they were crucifying people upside down <laughs> who didn't follow along, he had to speak in parables. And I've been spending like the last three decades sharing a lot of parables along with these deep teachings because you have to make it practical and realistic for people. You can't just throw out deep teachings without a relevant touchstone to people's everyday lives. So I was speaking about this, and all of a sudden I just started, they call it nowadays, the young people call it riffing. I started, Jesus started riffing through me about quantum physics and relationships, and how it's all in the mind, and um, how really we only have one relationship, and really in order to know that purpose fully, you must share that same purpose with everyone, without exception. And I was said, now the only purpose I know that you can share with everyone equally, without exception, the Saddam Husseins, the Hitlers, the Mother Teresas, the St. Francis's, everyone without exception is forgiveness. That's, that's the only purpose that, that relates to all the images of history, even the evil ones and the good ones, the sinners and the saints. Forgiveness is agape correction. It's the love of God coming to correct the whole distortion of time and space. And then I started zooming, zooming into the instant, the holy instant, and, and really teaching. But that was a spark, we thought, also for this weekend. Since that wasn't too long ago. When was that weekend? Last week. Last weekend. Last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was far, far away. Yeah, <laughs> ten years ago. 30 years ago, it's all the same. I had people that go through my, my teachings online and, and they go, you know, I listened to some of the stuff from 25 years ago that's on the online. And you know you're talking about the same things. Typically, people go through like evolutions, you know, in their teachings over decades. But you're talking about exactly the same things 25 years ago as you are today. And uh, Ben and I were talking on the way up. She was saying, a spiritual teacher she was quite involved with, you know, seemed to start out with a big sparkle that really resonated and then kind of trickled and faded. And I was talking about uh, David Hawkins and, and his kinesiology and his rating things, where he would oftentimes have a scripture that comes through the channel. And then the scripture remains at like a nine or a ten. And the channel goes down. <laughs> Eight, seven, six, fame, fortune, possessions. The ego is almost like, what do you think you're up to bringing the scripture into this realm? I'll get you yet with vanity, fame, fortune. You know, I will take you down. Uh, maybe you channel the scripture, but you're not going to live. You know, because the ego doesn't want it lived. You doesn't mind if you put it in words and you talk about words, but but Jesus is wants us to have the, the beatitudes, the actual joy, the actual love, the actual experience of what the words are pointing to. In fact, even Helen Shuckman, at the end of her life, she she was like it was very intense for her. She was quoted as saying toward the end of her life, 
I know the Course is true, I just don't believe it. In other words, I resonate with the message of it, but I don't, can't put it into practical application, so I can't fully believe it. I can't fully give my mind over to it because there's too much resistance. Now, we are experiencing, I know for myself, I had to give it over to be a living demonstration. Jesus even told Helen, it really wasn't about the Course, I love you. It was all about the love beyond the words. And for all of us, no matter what part we think we played well or not so well, the love is the most important thing. It's all about the love. The Beatles had it right. All you need is love. All we need to do is find and know and experience that love. So, we're going to use relationships and the movie, and I'm happy to throw in a lot of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. I, I was doing that yeah. on, the, on the online retreat. There was two ladies that were going through a lot of relationship difficulty on the online retreat, and both were considering leaving their partners. And uh, I said to the one, I said, um, do you know anything about science? And she said, no. I said, perfect. It's better for me to use these, the new science without you having all these preconceptions of the old science, because that's what blocks the quantum science, is the Newtonian blocks the way. And for those of us who've been raised in a Christian tradition, which some of us have, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Course was overturning so much of those pre- Exposed positions, so much of those opinions, those old concepts of sacrifice, penance, suffering, you know, that they were the core of old time, you know, they talk about give me that old time religion. Well, I think Jesus would have us come off the cross <laughs> and, and go ascending toward the light, is actually what the message was, not to bear the old rugged cross, not carry the weight of grief and sin. So forth. So it's exciting that we're here, and, and I hope I can interject some some quantum physics uh, <laughs> along the way for some of you that have a nice scientific orientation and like uh, some of that stuff too. Because the quantum field that the scientists talk about is really synonymous with the happy dream or the forgiven world. So even though to the scientists the quantum field is very mysterious. I think it's natural. I'm, I'm just thinking that's the most natural thing that there is connectedness. Everything is completely connected and unified. That sounds to me like a reflection of heavenly light. And and even though the scientists uh, come up with some very strange words, vocabulary for it, I call it the happy dream. They call it entanglement. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we have a little bit different vocabulary. I know then you can relate to me. When we talk about relationship, you can either have a happy dream or entanglement. Uh, but we're going to go for the happiness, uh, regardless of what they call it. You know, we want to know what that unification is about. Yeah, because I, I think Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and today his message is the same. There is no real variation of his message, but the way is how, how you know, our experience is really limited by how much we the desire to receive. That's, that's truly the only limitation there is, because I think he, 
even 2,000 years ago, he had 12 disciples, um, apostles, and even them couldn't really understand what Jesus really was teaching. Mm -hmm. So he threw a parable, and then they would have an argument or discussion among the 12 what the parable meant, because truly in order to really understand um, something, this divine law that is beyond the understanding of the logical mind, it's, it's not understandable in, in this frame of mind. So the way that I think for them, it, it was combined with his teaching, but also watching, watching Jesus as a living demonstration, the way that he, he demonstrated love, the way he demonstrated non-judgment, the way that he walked towards everybody, you know, welcome the stranger in, that is also part of it. So I think that's why um, I feel like Jesus still wants to use parables today. He wants to use examples. He wants to use the, the actual living demonstrations of how you can have this peaceful state of mind, you know, through watching the living demonstrations and the examples, that's, that's really the way that he, I feel like he's teaching. Because I am not, I, I did not grow up as Christian in any way, um, but Jesus reached me somehow through this emotion. Emotion, I went to church for the first time when I was in my late 20s, uh, after I moved from China to, to Australia. And I went to a church when they were talking about Jesus and singing. And there was this huge emotional outburst for no apparent reason. I didn't really understand anything they talked about. But something wants to burst open. That's, that's how I first get in touch. So I then uh, went to the Bible study group and I couldn't understand, I couldn't really get in touch with that feeling. So later on, when I got into the Course, that, that's where the feeling came back, when I read the Course in Miracles. And that's my only parameter. I know what I was looking for. It's not a scripture, it's not the so-called Jesus in human form in the past, or whatever he says as a doctrine but it's something alive inside, and that has been a guiding light, you know, for me. So I think, yeah, this, this is what I feel like all of us really want to find today, is that we can live life in such a way to be in direct connection with the with the spirit within and have nothing else but this highest divine light guide us, even in this realm. Because in, in this guiding light, we can have this direct experience. And that's really the only, the only purpose of A Course in Miracles. It is really not trying to get us to understand through the words. And I think all the other pathways is not trying to get us to understand 
but it's this direct experience that is what we're aiming for. And I really feel like this weekend before we came here, this relationship being start to become very strong in mind. Of course, miracles is a pathway around relationships. And how does how does relationship look uh, when it is under Christ's control, when it is under Jesus' control? I feel like this is good. We, we start with some examples, then we go from there. So just follow from what we talked about. Um, Will Wilson, he was in China. He put his hand up saying, Jesus, if, if there's anything else I can do for you, I'm your man. That's what he said. And he went back with, with the group from China back to America. And then um, Judy Scotch was married to Bob Scotch. And he and she, they were collaborating with publishing the course. But then one day, she, I think there was a, a friend of hers, basically saying, "I want you to come to Washington to meet this this uh, Pentagon general." Milton Friedman, also a, a speechwriter for the president of the United States, invited her in his southern draw to they. Come to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and so begins the parable of Jesus reconfiguring a relationship, a husband and wife, and bringing in a third wheel for the entire universe to use. You know, most of us are raised with two's company, three is a crowd. Most of us wouldn't touch that kind of a great relationship reconfiguration with a 10-foot pole, and some of us who have tried to touch it, we got out of there pretty quick with the venom and the rage that comes in there. But she did, she, she actually, she took a little bit convincing too, because um, when she's on the phone with Milton Freeman, she said, Judy, come to my apartment, you gotta be, who is this guy? No, I'm not coming there. I've already been to Washington, D.C. I'm not coming back across the country from California. You got to meet this guy, William. Who is this guy? Well, he is a former Pentagon general. He's a part of the Pentagon. He's had many parts of public service. One of them was happened to be in the military. She said, I, now I know him. I, no, I have no interest in meeting somebody from the Pentagon. Believe me, I've got better ways to use my time. You've got to he studies the Course in Miracles. So then Judy goes. So she went, and then I think they had a wonderful meeting, and then they parted after the meeting, and she went back to California. And... Um, and it was that actually her husband who invited William to come to visit from Washington to California. So basically the three of them, um, yeah, William came over based on the invite and came to visit the couple. And uh, the story goes that she was washing the dishes after a meal, then the two gentlemen were sitting outside, right outside of the, the, the kitchen talking and she could they, hear. They hit it off. They were like long lost friends. They were just talking, talking, you know, she had met him, but 
her husband Bob was really excited about this guy. That's why he wanted to invite him. You should invite him to come out here. I don't think that's a good idea at all. And he's like, oh no, he sounds like really cool. So you see, Jesus has got a bigger plan for the marriage and for the relationship. And then, oh, and then she was washing the dishes and heard these two guys were talking about sports. So they were talking and talking about a score and which team. And in the middle of the conversation, she heard Bob, her husband, turned to William and asked, "What's your intention with Judy?" And William said, very matter of fact, transparent, "I intend to marry her." <laughs> so that's an example right there. That that is not looking really good. In fact, I would mention a lot of people in the world, Christians or not, would say, "This is Jesus is not behind this. This is uh, this is not the focus on the family. This is this is a nasty looking situation." But Jesus has a big plan for the whole universe, and these three were going to be part of it. So. So then they went right back to the sports <laughs> after that little dialogue. So they went and went and had a great, great time together, and then they they sent William off. So afterwards, because Judy was holding back this whole time, she heard, she overheard the conversation. She didn't say anything, and then after William. Um, the left. She went to her husband and said, "What was that conversation about? Because I heard it all." And Bob said, "Remember, I wrote down way back in my journal. Jesus told me when William shows up, let Judy go." Mm. Wow. Mm. So he actually pulled up. Put up her in his journal and showed Judy, who actually remembered that journal. She just wasn't taking his journal seriously back then. back then. But he was practicing journaling with Jesus, like many of us have done who worked at the course, even though it was an early, early edition of the course、uh, from the very beginning. So that just shows you, actually, what happened is.、Um, Judy and Bob did get divorced. Judy and Wit did get married, and the three of them worked together day by day, side by side, thus undoing the adage "two's company, three's a crowd." For Jesus, the purpose of forgiveness for the awakening of the planet: three is just as good a number as two.、Uh, that's going quantum. Jesus doesn't mind if it's fifteen, one, two. You can call it whatever you want. The partnership. You can call it the spiritual community. You can call it anything you want. But under the purpose, it's like what serves the the greater purpose. And as far as the publication and distribution, and Wynn just passed away not too long ago. But actually, the three of them continued on uh, Wynn uh, into his nineties. Oh, and Bob is still. Bob, Bob's still going. Bob's in his nineties. So the three of them all. Yes. Yeah. It's just continued on for decades and decades and decades, devoted to purpose.、Mm-hmm. So when Jesus is talking about relationship, Jesus's version of relationship is what serves the whole. What serves the prayer for the greater good? 
Despite ego opinions, conclusions, categories, moralities, what's right, what's wrong, Jesus knows that everyone is innocent. Everyone is completely innocent in spirit. But when you fall asleep and you have amnesia, you forget that you're spirit. You take on a body identity, you take on a linear time identity, that's where the guilt comes in. And what does the mind do when it feels guilty? It projects the guilt onto the bodies. You did me wrong. You betrayed me. You abandoned me. You hurt my feelings. You didn't keep your promises. You know, it will just zap, zap, zap. All these images on time and space, therefore projecting the guilt onto the world, onto the characters, onto the dream figures. And to project the guilt onto the dream figures keeps you from being aware that you're dreaming. You're just asleep and dreaming of a world of separation that God didn't create. That it's all a projection of ontological guilt, of a sense of wrongness. Like everyone deep down feels there's some kind of wrongness. There's some kind of unworthiness. Like I'm not worthy of love. When love comes close, you know, there's a, there's a defense. Even sickness, body symptoms, Jesus says, when, you're, when love comes close and you're too terrified of this divine love, you'll project out a body symptom to prove how little and weak and frail that you are in the face of love. And then you'll have a quick forgetting. You do a quick amnesia. So you don't, oh, you make up another story that you get, says, oh, no, you caught a germ. No, you were exposed to the sun too long. Well, the reason you're gluttonous is because you eat too much, and you're fat, and you're overeating, and that's why you're unlovable, and that's why you're so fat. Never letting us know that it's this unconscious guilt of believing we separated from source, from God. That's the real issue. The one issue that we have to face is that we've separated from source. So now we have a teaching, not only a great teaching, but so much fun and joy and happiness in applying it. The more we apply it, the more free we feel, the more innocent we feel, the more childlike. We feel childlike wonder, we feel glee, we feel happiness, because we're getting lined up in that tractor beam of light and love. That's, that beam has always been there for us. And we're just starting to put our focus in the right direction, instead of trying to keep playing out these projections over and over. Yeah, because I think the, the the life story of this this early um, publishers of, of the course it just shows the three people they come actually they, they come here for the purpose for deeper love for for divine love for love that they they can really allow themselves and allow their lives and allow their times to be and relationships to be used for much bigger expansion in mind. And none of them on their own can really do it. They don't know how their life can truly be used to serve the purpose, not to bring the purpose back to their life. And I think that is really a lot of the frustration on this awakening journey. Our lives as we know it is so defined, categorized, based on our own frame of thinking, you know, based on who we think we are, based on our preferences, based on our own um, defense mechanisms. 
Then we want to bring the spiritual teachings into that category. Then to say, Jesus, how do you solve this problem in my relationship? Jesus cannot solve the problem in your relationship because how we define the relationship is the problem. So that is truly, if we really put it down to what the problems are, it is truly that we keep trying to bring the truth, the divine solution, the real solution to the problem, the, the problem problematic thinking. We keep coming to say, this is the frame. Now fix it here, not there. My career, my finance is okay right now. <coughs> My relationship is where it needs your fixing, but only do it here. Because if you touch everything else, if I see my life collapsing any other way, no good. Then the invitation is gone. So this is truly, if you think about it, this is how, how, how it happens. You know, that's why when we think of healing, we, we have fear. What do you ask of us? What do you ask of us? Jesus even says in the Course, what would it cost you if you can truly heal your sickness? You know, how much do we want to heal our sickness? Everybody. Nobody wants to suffer pain. So Jesus threw that question, if you see there is no purpose of your sickness, you will be healed instantaneously. But how much would that cost you? How much? The whole world. That's what he says the cost of to be truly healed of all sickness. Because why? Because the whole thinking has to be turned upside down. The way we define sickness, the way we define the body, the way we define the whole world has to be questioned. That's why he says cost the whole world. So does that cost the relationship? Does that cost the little family constellation, the career setup, the way you feel secure, it does cause all of it. Mm. But not cost in terms of the ego defines a cause, meaning sacrifice. Okay, you will be left with nothing. No, you will be left with everything when you give up nothing. Right. Right. That's truly what the cost is, cost of nothing. For everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good trade. <laughs> and the practicalities. I know when we were in that school, right? You, toward the end of it, you started to bring up the idea of devotion and maybe questioning have I, have I ever been devoted and everything. But I think, honestly, you know, if there's anything you can really take away from this whole weekend, we'll keep coming back to it, but it's just that that you can connect with this inner guidance. Everyone has this guidance. It's, it's there to be connected with. In other words, it's not just some concept of oh, a higher power or a higher self that's kind of floating out there in the ethers, but it's actually practical. And, and I would say also, from, from teaching the Course for like 33 plus years, actually, the commitment where uh, when I would do early um, retreats and gatherings, uh, people would say, oh, I heard David's going to talk about the C word today. And they weren't talking about cancer. 
<laughs> Being around me, cancer was like, oh, that's like nothing compared to what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about commitment. And there's a lot of shakiness that comes in around commitment. People are more terrified of commitment than they are cancer. Because people who are getting married and have second thoughts and turn away at the aisle <laughs> because they're not afraid of the cancer. They're afraid of, now what am I doing here? And what am I signing up for? Because commitment is associated with imprisonment. Commitment is associated with loss of freedom. And you can see why. So what I'm saying, when we talk about devotion, we also have to talk about commitment. Really, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. It gives you everything and costs you nothing. Because you're committing to guidance. All you're doing is co committing to be aligned with your true self, with your real, innocent, true self. So you can see that has no cost whatsoever. Ego is saying, oh yeah, that's big time cost. That's going to ruin my linear plan for my personality self that I made for you. It's going to take the mask off if you keep following that guidance. You're going to drop the mask entirely and know yourself as the Christ. So the ego's like, for Christ's sake, stop. Stop now. Don't, don't commit. Don't tune into guidance. Don't even believe there is such a thing as guidance. And yet, when we go back to, again, the original four with the Course, they, Helen does her part, she's the scribe. Bill is like the, the, the soft, gentle, steady comforters, comforting her, you know, you just type it up, type it up, I'll, I'll type it, you just read it from your shorthand and then we'll type it up. If it's gibberish, we'll just throw it away and we won't tell anybody. <laughs> but so he's like the one that allowed it to happen because he was so comforting. And, and Helen was so anxious with this whole scribal thing and she was an atheist, so you can imagine taking uh, <laughs> this content down. She was like, at one point she was resisting so much that she just refused to pick up the pen and write. And this went on for like a week and, until she was almost like she, she was going against what she had said she would do somewhere deep in her mind. She had agreed to this uh, task, this mission. And then finally, after she came back, she finally started writing the shorthand again. Jesus just was very calm and said, a good scribe should be under Christ's control. And so, and then matter of fact, he continues on with the, the dedication. When she would kind of come at him and everything, you know, he would say things like, I already have one mother. I don't need a mother. Can you imagine <laughs> Jesus Christ telling I don't need another mother? You know, only Jesus could get away <laughs> with that because He's transcended time and space. Anybody else, the humans, would never get away without saying, I don't need another mother. But, but the four came together after the black binders were there, after they had it down, on, typed out, and they were all praying. Because remember, Bill's a psychologist, Helen's a psychologist. They are research psychologists at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York City, very prestigious. So they're very prestigious scientists. They have careers. They they have. Uh, she's married. Uh, Helen's married. And then, basically, Ken's there, 
and Judy's there, and the four of them come together to pray. Now what do we do? We've got all these black binders. What do we do next? And then they pray, and they're waiting. And of the four, it was actually Judy that heard the line from Jesus, make the commitment first. He was not even giving any instructions with this Course of Miracles. Even though they were in these big black binders, they were not in published form. It was just the four of them, basically, were the ones that knew about them. And Judy, just at the very end, you know, you know, because Judy was having lunch with uh, Ken, or with Bill and, and Helen, and Ken was there too, and they were having lunch when she first had met them. And um, Judy was sitting next to Helen, and Judy says, Helen was, had a mind as sharp as a tack, but she was so sharp that Judy was a little bit afraid <laughs> Uh, of her just in the first meeting at the lunch table, but she then found herself turning to Helen, and this was Jesus again orchestrating this because she turned to Helen and she said, I hear that you're hearing an inner voice, she says to a research psychologist. Now, Judy was in parapsychology, this is a research psychologist, and, and Helen was responsible, I beg your pardon. You know, almost like, how dare you say that to me? And then with the comforter there, Bill, and Ken, let's just take Judy up and let's just show her the, the black binders. But the key thing is, Jesus wouldn't even tell them anything to do with the Course until they could answer his question. Make the commitment first. So you can see what we're saying, that, that if we're going to talk about guidance, if we're going to talk about spiritual awakening, and I'm going to tell you, you already have all the answers inside you, because you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus inside you. Jesus says, you have, there are many answers you have received but have not heard. In other words, there's a lot of potential guidance that's in there, and it's not like it's for the future, it's just to listen moment by moment just intuitively, that guidance. But it does require a commitment. There will be a commitment required. And the ego doesn't like this, because the ego would rather pick and choose from the images. There's been a lot of great mystics and saints throughout the ages that I know you have admired, I have admired. For example, Gandhi. I was so touched by Gandhi. I just, when I watched that movie the first time, I just had tears. Albert Einstein was impressed with Gandhi. He said, scarcely will future generations even believe that such a man walked in flesh and blood as Gandhi. When Einstein's impressed, Einstein doesn't, I mean, theory of relativity, and Einstein was way, way, way ahead of his time. A lot of the stuff I talk about with quantum physics goes back to Einstein. Einstein was tuned in to that. But even for Gandhi, for example, Gandhi was a Hindu, but as he moved along in his life, he became more interested in making a composite religion than having adhering to one religion or theology. But even with Gandhi, 
it came to a point where there was a, an American um, journalist from uh, from the United States who was walking with him in South Africa when he was building an ashram down in South Africa, and um, that was the same man who said, "Mr. Gandhi, you're you're quite an ambitious fellow." And Gandhi said, "I hope not." And my heart just leaped when I was watching the movie Gandhi. That's your answer to, you're quite an ambitious fellow, I hope not. But there was somebody else one time that said to Gandhi, because of all of his stances to get the British, you know, out of uh, India, this man came up to Gandhi and, and he said um, to Gandhi, are you some kind of a saint uh, trying to become a politician? And Gandhi's response was, no, I'm a politician trying to become a saint. Now when Mahatma Gandhi, they call Mahatma means great soul, when Gandhi answers, I'm a politician trying to become a saint, you have to go into the deep teachings of India to realize that Gandhi was walking around at the same time as Yogananda. Gandhi was walking around at the same time as Ramana Maharshi. If Gandhi was in a sea of perspective in India where he knew this was all about self-realization, this was about knowing God, and Gandhi could tell that he was still had his political things about the, the allies versus the Axis. You know, when the World War broke out, you know, Gandhi came right out and took a side. He took a side for the Allies against the Axis. And then on a trip all the way, because he was educated in, uh, in England, but on, on a boat trip between England and uh, India one time, he got really, really sick, very, very sick. And I've had people come to me and say, Gandhi, he was so peaceful. How did Gandhi get sick? On a boat, was it the, was he uh, was it seasickness? Was it the waves and everything? I said no. He just took a side. Mm -hmm. He took a side. Mm -hmm. So for those like teachers of the course who put Gandhi on this pedestal, I say investigate, investigate Yogananda who adored Jesus. Investigate. I went visited Muji. Muji and I are friends, and I was in Sahaja. In the mountains over there in uh, Portugal, southern Portugal, Algarve area. And Luigi is like, Oh, come and see, I've made a chapel for Jesus. Aww. And he made a little chapel and he painted, I hand painted every painting in the chapel for Jesus. For Jesus. If you look at the even Khalil Gibran, he adored Jesus. If you go through the, these amazing saints from many different traditions, there's a, there's a resonance with this deep presence. The way, the truth, and the life. The way shower. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Even among the saints and the mystics. Gandhi, when he was reading the, the scriptures, he would say, oh, I really like this about the Bible. He would pick out certain passages, and, oh, this touches my heart. Just like a kid, ooh, this is a good one. <laughs> you see, 
we have to start to realize that with the Course in Miracles, we've been given a huge gift. It's a very, very, very direct pathway. But you have to give heart to it. You have to make a commitment to it. Even in Sedona, where there are so many things <laughs> And if I give a commitment talk at Sedona, okay, let's just commit to what? <laughs> well, that's my first question. Exactly what am I committing to? And I say, well, how about we start with guidance or intuition? It doesn't have any cost. Because everyone's like, yeah, commitment, yeah, what's it gonna cost me? What are you gonna ask me for? Well, in the end, everything, but it's nothing. It's really nothing. It's, it's that commitment to inner listening. So that's part of our joys. When we were just recently in Holland, we were talking even about the movie, just using much less our lives for those years, because we have a lot of parables about our lives. But even around the movie, Francis having a dream, and then was it six years before the movie it came? And Jesus is basically telling you, you will make a movie and don't be concerned about it because it's already done. Six years in advance. <laughs> and then that was probably, of course, to keep her calm about the whole thing. Because why? Francis is not a movie maker. And the team, the crew will show up. You know, you can go. These are the parables we tell. Because the more you go into them and the more you see all the twists and turns, only guidance can help you navigate in this experience. It's not going to be past learning. You're not going to be able to be a scribe or a scholar or something where you just fall back on your past learning. You have to have a lot of present trust. And I'll tell you, there is a commitment required. It's, I don't want to dance around these topics. When you're bringing up a topic of devotion, I want to go into that. Let's dive down the rabbit hole on that one and say, what does it require? I mean, that's what you would do if you were going to build a house, right? What does it require? You would be practical. You wouldn't just stand there and look at the spot and go, House. House. <laughs> you, know, you, you would actually probably go, okay, what do I do here? Yeah, I like it. I, I, you know, just first of all, let's be very um, clear about the end goal because it's not committing to, to form. It's not devotion. Let's say, even to say I'm devoted to a course of miracles, it becomes like, what does that even mean? Which version of it? Uh, you know, you get lost so the moment you put down this commitment into a form. So basically the commitment is to undo all of this, to really willingly say to Jesus, then if the way I see everything, I think about everything, and I have defined everything is wrong, then I don't know how to undo it except through you. So I'm going to commit to your direction. And knowing the direction will take me through this maze I have made in undoing the maze in the end. So that is the goal. The goal is undoing it all. And the means is through the guidance. And the way we can do it is really steadfast commit, commit to the guidance. And the guidance can come in just any form. 
That's why we really have to let go of of the attachment to form, knowing that if we commit to something that is beyond form, then all form can be used, and we cannot really just focus on one or the other. But but the example, you know, hopefully the the way that we use this movie, we make this movie, is just an example of how we commit and devote to guidance to use. Uh, use guidance to undo this this maze that we have made. So basically, um, yeah, I think when um, yeah when I first came to the community, I basically uh, I, I had a, a a financial planning business and I had uh, like life built up in. Australia, and when I came, I was really just leaving everything behind to say, you know, I'm going for mind training and and see what, how is that going to help me to change my mind into an experience. And my mom at this time basically said, you're just going to end up on the street. This is this is what's going to look like basically if you throw out everything that is secure. That you have built up, this is gonna be what's happening. So I said, okay, let's. I, I'm willing to um, find out. I'm willing to find out. So we came. I came over, and after three months of opening up to the feelings and the emotions and using relationships, which we will keep coming back to this weekend, how to do that. I had this really profound experience, you know, opening up, heart opening experience. So I've had this desire to to share it in some way. And then uh, 2011 was one day I I got a dream, wake up from a dream um, that I made a documentary about what I have received in the monastery that I stayed. Um, practicing the undoing with the Course in Miracles, and it was very real. The dream was really real. So after that, I I thought, okay, seems like this is what's gonna happen because it's beyond real. But like David said, um, it didn't happen until six years later. And every time when I asked, Jesus said it's already done. So basically, the the feeling I got was. You don't need to concern about how. You need to take no thought for the future. You need to take no thoughts. Even something seems to come through you, you still need to take absolutely zero amount of concern. And when he said it's done, I really relaxed. I thought, okay, then the end is written. Then. We will just see how it's going to happen because I I don't know how to make a movie, but I was very inspired to 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 listen and follow to Jesus in such a way that it it is an experience for myself as a testimony myself to to know that I can hear and I can follow. That's nothing else but just for me to to do it for this particular purpose. So then, when the time came, it was 2017, two and a half years ago. Then this whole team seemed to come together, just one by one, picked 
by by Jesus, people I didn't even know, and somehow they had different skills, they had different、uh, background. There are a couple of people who actually had filmmaking background, and one was a very renowned cinematographer from Portugal. So it all just seemed to show up in my face. After six years of waiting, I really did not think about it anymore. So when it really showed up in my face that strong, I just said, "Okay, yes, I'm in." And at that point, I still just thought I'm the vision behind the thing. I'm going to be the cheerleader for this whole thing. Until about ten, twenty days before filming, when the team are arriving, we realize we didn't have a director for the movie, and there's all kinds of decisions that need to be made. All kinds, very, very practical. We cannot be like in the clouds saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. Even a world famous cinematographer is like shows up and is like, "Well, I will follow the director," <laughs> and, and they don't have a director, so it became obvious that that you have to take the guidance and assume whatever you're given to do, whatever roles are even handed to you, like passed out, you have to say yes. Whatever is given in that guidance for things to move, and that's what happened. And that even that was shown to me. One、um, friend in our community came to say, "I am the director's assistant." I heard it. I said, "Great." So what do I do? And I said, "Why do you ask me?" She said, "I'm your assistant." <laughs> and I said, "So I am the director." She said, "We don't have any time anymore. People are coming in ten days." If we want to order hard drive and equipment, it takes ten days to arrive. So decisions need to be made now. So that was like when I put it. So I quickly googled, "What does a director do?" <laughs> 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 On YouTube, <laughs> in the film setting, and and a lot of、um, actors and actresses give different ways of describing director's role. But in summary, in the end, is. Everything. <laughs> That's so. I turned off my computer. I'm like, okay. What hard drives to buy? Which equipment? What camera to buy? I have absolutely no idea. So then, that's that's moment of truth. Okay, Jesus, tell me. There's how we're going to go about from this moment on. You and me, and speak out with the whole team waiting. So that's that's how the the project actually uh, um, happened and how the movie got made. It's completely through listen and follow and unwavering commitment to what I hear. <laughs> It's interesting too because we did tell you the parable with with Judy and Bob and Whit. So. In one sense, anybody who's aware of different cultures, like in India, they have something called arranged marriages, which is not such a popular concept over here in the West. You know, it's like what arranged marriage? Like, yeah, like, I suppose my shopping at the grocery store is arranged too. Actually, that's true as well. If you want to get into the topic of destiny and free will, I'd be happy to explain everything. Be mystified. Free will, determinism, destiny—all those things. It's a lot of fun. You'll love it when you hear what's really going on. 
But actually, that's part of it here is because with the movie, you can see that it's destined that, that Francis would take on the director role, the assistant, the cinematographer came in, but, but with Jeffrey and Susanna here, we have a Jesus arranged marriage. That's part of the movie, part of their experiences, and then you'll be able to, even though Judy and Whit aren't here, when we have our panel discussion, you can talk, because I know, Jeff, you've had, you could feel you had an arranged marriage, uh, you know, how profound that was. People can start to open up to the idea of destiny and the idea of how helpful it is to start to realize that if you have the commitment and the devotion, that even if time and space are prearranged, that's not the point. The point is to free your mind from all limitation. And that there is a higher power that, that knows you're good in every single seeming circumstance and situation. And that takes you into, like with a, 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 an arranged marriage, it takes a lot of faith to give way to that. Because I often, I often talk about being on a plane where there was a, an Indian woman and a, and a woman from California behind me. And they were having this big discussion about marriage. And I was just sitting in the seat in front of them. And the more that the Indian woman talked about her, her prearranged marriage when she was a teenager and how glorious it's been and that she had never even met her husband before the prearranged marriage and how it's worked out, she's like, oh, it's been such a blessing. It's taught me so many forgiveness. Of course, we all trust that whoever our partner is in the prearranged marriage, that's that's given for us to, to heal and serve the whole. Well, the woman from California was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. She was freaking out around the whole yeah, prearranged marriage and everything. And I was just sitting there smiling. The woman's like, oh, it's been such a blessing. You don't know what a blessing has been. You've been married for 30 years. It's just been all so delightful. And so much love and so much healing. And the, the woman's like, Yikes! Don't even go there. I don't even want to conceive of this. You know, like, don't even. No, no, no. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. It was just hilarious to see these two things come together. But that's what we're going to talk about because the filmmaking, everything about the cameras, the the editing, the relationships in in the the film, it's all part of the same topic about. What you were just saying, trust and listen and follow the guidance. It just basically comes down to good old fashioned listen and follow. Mm -hmm. I will step back and let him lead the way. You know, it's just really, if you cut to the core of it, that's the key to peace of mind. That's the key to spiritual awakening. It's all the way through the whole thing. Yeah, and I think with Jeffrey and Susanna, you, you guys probably would want to talk to them after you see the movie. You wouldn't you know, want to talk to me anymore tomorrow. So <laughs> they're the star, because they, this, this, they are, in a way, an arranged marriage, but the term sound is so cold. Like, what about my own wheel? <laughs> what about my preference? But Jesus knows our preference, even. Because in the end, all he wants us to do is to open up to the, the, our capacity to love. 
so that we can love so fully, we can receive so much love through each other by Him. You know, this is truly the goal. So when He brings two people together, Susanna and Jeffrey came to the community separately. They fell in love within two months. They got engaged. And the movie happened right after they got engaged. So you would have a chance to witness how when the, when two people just got together and commit commit to use their relationships for a purpose that's not of the ego, because relationships is a mechanism of the ego, and like everything else in this world, it's all set up. Because it's based on separation, it's based on separate bodies. So in in and of itself, it's set up as a separated from this separation perspective. You but even use the word boasted gift. Ego's most boasted gift. The special love relationship. When Jesus uses those words in the course, he's really getting your attention. And he says the ego's most boasted gift is special love relationships. So the way that it's set it up is to keep you stuck in time, stuck in guilt, and forever defending against the eternal love of God. And now the arranged marriage from Jesus is the is the antidote. It's the it's the opposite of the ego's codependency. It's the opposite of the ego's guilt and projections and all the intense fear and everything that goes with it. Which is why. That's what this whole movie is about, about using relationship for another purpose that, that serves the whole. Yeah, why is that the most boasted gift? Because it does, in a way, symbolize this union, which is our divine nature, union. And there was like this, first, normally there is this heart-opening experience, like a taste, a glimpse of this feeling of union. But then very quickly, the relationship will be used for the ego's purpose, which is not true union. Body's union, yes. Mind union, no. So very quickly, relationship will become a way to hide, you know, how, how, how authentic we, we can be with each other in a relationship. There is still a lot of hiding. There is still a lot of um, defense, a lot of projection going on. And then the special relationship a lot of the times will be used by the ego to hide from the rest of the relationships. So then we're not really completely use each other to go toward the spirit. We're using each other to go away from the spirit, to go toward each other in terms of form and bodies. So then that's where when the purpose is lost, then the experience become very dark and become very tumultuous. And it, it just feels like Jesus, that's why we, we were just talking this morning in the car, that's why Jesus says in chapter 17 that we believe a holy relationship, he came in to reset the purpose. He really came in to reset the purpose. And he even said it's not, it's not uh, more loving. Like it would not be kinder to shift the goal more slowly. It's not kinder to shift the goal slower, slowly, because the ego will, will gradually come in mm -hmm. to adjust. So he changed the goal so quickly, mm -hmm. 
Even if you come together, think, oh, we get into a nice relationship here, but we invite Jesus to, to come to use our relationship, then he will set a goal very quickly, reset. Yeah, you said words before, upside down. The whole thought system, the whole world is backwards and upside down. So in one sense, you could say the reset is turning things right side up. Imagine you have, you've always, all time and space, all of history has been upside down, and now you're just going to open up and pray and say, turn it, turn it around, that's Byron Katie, turn it around, turn it around, don't put the projection outside of yourself, turn it around, you choose it, you choose the purpose. And so that's huge, because that's like taking the ego's most boasted gift, the thing that it's counting on to keep you trapped and stuck, and turning and inviting the spirit into it is going to take the, the thing that the ego thinks has really got you bound in layers of steel, wrapped in layers and layers of steel like you're never getting out. And then all of a sudden, here comes this beam of light, this ray of light that's saying, follow, turn it all, flip the whole thing. That's why he also says, what does healing cost you? It costs you the whole world that you see. Because, he says, he goes on to say, because the body is not the decision maker. It's the mind that's the decision maker. That's where the purpose is. That's where we go from hatred to love, in the mind. But as long as we keep thinking of everything in Newtonian and linear terms, we actually, by the bait of the ego, we believe that there's seven billion bodies and that each body has a private mind of their own, and private thoughts of their own, and little private secrets of their own. And you see, as long as we're playing on that playing field, the ego is just sitting back there, and it's just smiling, like, I got you. You're still playing human, and as long as you keep playing human, you're going to be guilty, and as long as you're guilty, then you're mine. You're never going to know your true source as long as you keep playing this little game, even of interpersonal relationships, of not seeing that it's just a mirroring of mind going on, always. It's not really ever about the bodies. Jesus says, minds are joined, bodies do not. Boy, that's a great thing for your honeymoon. Uh, imagine, you go, know, you get married, there's rice, there's all oh, this happiness and throwing rice at you, and you you're sending it. Then you go, you go to the honeymoon, and the honeymoon suite, check in to the little cabin, and then you get the there's the bed, and then above the bed, minds are joined, yeah. bodies do not. That's a downer for the ego. Oh, come on, Jesus, you're ruining the mood, just ruining the whole mood. But Jesus is looking for that mystical union, that that deep. Union of, of, of Father and Son of Christ, of Creator and Creation, the, the eternal love that we will never be satisfied until we come into that eternal union. That's what Mary Baker Eddy's been talking about, Christian Science, the eternal union. That's what Mary Magdala was all about. It wasn't about some kind of romance that happened in secret two thousand years ago. There was a as a union. They were joining in. Mind. They were sharing the same mind. They were sharing the same heart. That's the union. 
And yet all these writers go, Ooh, I can make a million dollars if I can test out of the Jesus romance novel. That's the thing. That'll sell millions. Tens of millions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. It's all you see how the ego will first try to hijack even the most precious holy parable of devotion. If you ever get a chance, that very Magdalene movie is mm. so spectacular. Mm. That's one with King Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. 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 He plays a good Jesus. He plays a good Joker too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all how you look at it. You know, really show up with the eyes to see. Yeah. Yeah. This, and then also, um, I think with with this movie, I mean, also Jack Jeffrey. Not only he has an arranged marriage and and pretty much lay his whole healing journey out in front of the camera, like how how it's unfolded. Because when we open up, when we commit to a relationship and allow the spirit to use, the spirit is going to use it for transparency. This is how the the difference when we start to talk that talk to practical application of the two separate purpose. This is coming down to the pra uh, practical application. Jesus, um, ego would use relationship to protect, protect the thought system, protect the, the judgment and the attack. We're victim together. Let's join in our own little stories to, to be against the world. Let's judge together. Let's accuse. And then we also project. But Jesus will use the relationship to, to heal the thoughts. And the first criteria to heal any thoughts is not to protect them, is to actually allow them to be exposed. But, you know, a lot of the thoughts that we actually have, for example, can you imagine if Bill Thetford think, oh, I really want to find another way. And he held it, and he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell Helen. Can you imagine if Judy went to this first meeting with Helen, and she did not say what she heard, which is, I heard you actually hear in her voice. <laughs> Judy said, I beg you pardon. What if, Judy, uh, what if um, Helen said, no, not true. I do not want anybody else to know. <laughs> you know, this whole thing wouldn't come about because this this whole book, this whole pathway is a pathway of interchanging darkness for light, interchanging this this secrecy, this hiding of, of the Christ self within to let it become no secret to our own mind. This is who we are, and we have kept it a big secret to ourselves. Mm. And we we use all thoughts in the ego system to maintain that that secret. So everything is is really serving that one purpose. It's not really serving any other purpose. That's why to use the relationships for transparency. Is a huge practical application that we we want to talk about, and this is what when we come together in our purpose to heal, heal our own mind, but use each other, use 
the mission that that is given by Jesus, use project as like making a movie. We have to be very clear what this is for. The movie project with you know I came together with the whole team to do the, the only thing which is let's be transparent together, see what comes up. We have no idea the problem, we have no idea the the thoughts, but we know we're only there to allow them and to invite the spirit to help us forgive them. So it's not really we're ashamed of the thoughts that's going to come up. That's not our responsibility. They're all ego thoughts. They're not our own. They're all ego thoughts. So you will see in the, in, in the movie this afternoon, Jeffrey and Susanna, their relationship is a relationship of a uh, romantic relationship, intimate relationship. They came as an, an engaged um, couple, boyfriend, girlfriend, engaged. And, oh, they, they have to be transparent if their relationship is to be used. If one of them started to have feelings, because when you come together in, in a healing journey, your heart is going to be bursted open. You're going to feel really heart opening. And then if you start to feel a lot of heart opening experience, you have to start to share. If you start to feel, you know, attraction toward other people, is that okay to share? You know, is there is there a safety to really allow our thoughts to come up to the surface and to be forgiven? Is there really consequence? This is what I really want to, you know, after this whole thing and my own journey, I see there is no consequence. The ego does not have any consequence in the light of the spirit. Anything that the ego thinks, anything the ego judges, they are, if they are brought to the light, there is no consequence of any kind. So that's one kind of relationship that we, you know, we captured. It just happened in front of the camera because as filmmakers, we actually didn't really know what to capture. We, you know, some people asked us at the beginning, what's the, what's the theme of the movie? Don't know. What are you, what are you gonna, what is this about? Is that about the monastery? Is that about David Hoffmeister? I really didn't know what it's about. I, I didn't really. But what audience are you going to reach? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever directed before? No. No. <laughs> Do you actually think this movie's going to get made? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a walk of trust. I think it is really, in a way, reflect this spiritual journey because I didn't have the big picture. I could not have the big picture. I was, I, you know, I, I wanted so much to have a big picture, to be able to say, this is how it's going to look. This is the lesson I'm going to learn. This is the lesson that everybody else is going to learn. This is the, the end product is going to go through this. I had no idea. And I feel the spiritual journey feels just like that. You know, we do not know the map. The roadmap of how it's going to go. 
But we have this moment. That's really all that I we have. This moment has everything. This moment has our decision to follow or to ask in, in, internally and follow or not. This is really the only power and the control we ever have. Is is in this very moment. So basically, during that um, we had a whole. Forty-day, thirty-day mystery school event that we were going to film. The team came ten days before that, so we had forty days together with the film team. And um, in the end, it turned out that a lot of the things that that、uh, got captured in the film are the ones that were in the film team, because、um, the film team came together to make. A real project happened based on nothing but internal guidance, and there is a lot things coming up because of that very purpose. You know, the ones、um, we had, Soren. You will see he's a star in the movie. He came. He made a documentary movie before. He met with me two years before that, and he told me he was a documentary filmmaker. So I invited him to come, and he. Say yeah, I want healing. I want healing, but also no, I can be very helpful here because I know how to make film and I know how to do everything. So he came with this helpfulness of wanting to tell me what to do, and my only purpose is to listen to Jesus. I don't really <laughs> feel it serves any real、uh, expansion for my for my awakening if I receive. Uh, advice and get the movie made. I mean, of course, at certain point I want it to get made, but I still know internally this is my the assignment with Jesus. I have to listen to Him, and Jesus's direction a lot of the times are not very conventional. So the filmmaker、um, Soren was going through a tough time because. He felt everything was done in the wrong way, <laughs> and probably, you know, rightly so, because I didn't know how to, how to. I just hear and then I deliver, and a lot of the things is also through our relationship. Because as a director, who really didn't know why things need to be done a certain way, except this is how it is. I was also using that relationship with the team in speaking up the guidance I hear, and to be able to be assertive of this is truly what I hear. And then, oh, among the oceans of opinions, no, 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 why, why, why? I have to say I don't know, but this is how it is. This is why, because this is gonna bring us happiness. And it's really I I trust so fully that the guidance there is only one source of guidance. So when I hear the guidance, if the team tune into this guidance, it's not my guidance. It's Jesus's guidance. Then we're all going to receive the reward. I really believe that it's not just for one person. It's not personal. Guidance is to benefit all. Guidance is to serve. The mind, the one mind, to undo all of the beliefs, so that the mind that is connected together can all be happy. This is what I truly believe, and I was thinking I'm going to use this project to play it out. 
And sometimes I would be frustrated, and I said, "Don't ask me why. Just follow. Then let's re receive the benefit together. When we receive the benefit of following the guidance, then we will know. This is this is the kind of journey that we have to to um, to follow in making in getting this movie made. So it's that underpinning too, because whether we're talking about knowing something about how to make a movie, that's the past. The point of the guidance is to undo the belief in linear time. Eternity is real. It's timeless. Time is, a, is an invention of the ego. You know, even those of us who were raised in Judeo-Christian, you know, remember Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, at least it's half right. You know, it's time and space that are projected from the ego, and it's eternity, heavens, the eternal state of oneness with, with God. That's where your trinity is. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are all in that pure spirit realm, even though the Holy Spirit can take on a voice when you believe you're lost in a far country and you need some practical guidance to get out. Then that's a symbol. But the key thing is, with relationships, with everything, it doesn't matter what the context is. One of the people in the movie is an experienced chef who's ran her own kitchens and knows has all this I know mind from the past about about cooking and baking. And then in the movie, it's a total dismantling. She's going through the ringer, through the meat grinder, uh, of thinking, you know, you're you're good at something. She's going to go through a dismantling. Everybody goes through a dismantling. The key thing is the thing about is about relationships used for the purpose because as long as it's the belief in private minds, private thoughts, and personhood, that's the mask. And the mask of personhood is the fault. Because even in the, the Latin, you know, that that mask the persona is, is made up by the ego. So it's not about self-improvement. You're already created by God. Why would you need self-improvement? Why would you need self-help even? It's, it's actually seeing that you have been identified with the wrong self. The time self is the, is the imposter. It's the fiction. And when you think of it, I mean, even all the great love songs, and there's so many great songs, uh, if you listen to a song from the ego's perspective, then you have these feelings that are tied in. Like if you think of a relationship as a as a person-to-person, -person, linear, interpersonal relationship, then Jesus is saying, you're trying to make a haven in this storm of guilt. You're trying to find a haven, a, a soft, loving, intimate haven in a world of guilt. And he's saying, you won't be able to do that. It's just a trick. It's like that Helen Reddy song. You and me against the world. Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world. When all the others turn their backs and walk away, you can count on me to stay. Ooh, sneaky. We've fallen for that one before. Are you going to be the special one that will never turn your back? Ever? Even when everybody else turns their back and you are not going to walk away from me? 
If we buy the beta then, oh, we are in a big Cinderella setup here. We've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. But let's turn it around. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. You and me, there is no world. Please remember, you and me, there is no world. You see the difference? Stay with me. Stay connected. Stay in your divine self. Stay in your source. Remember you're a perfect, holy child of God. Beyond the appearances, you don't need to go fishing to try to find a form. Remember the old country songs? Looking for love in too many places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, time and space is not the place you want to go fishing for eternal love. Because why? Because time and space was made as a defense against it. So you really have to look at the purpose, and you'll see that in the movie. If to the extent that you're looking for a linear construct, you're looking for a linear concept that's going to give you the love, you know, which is a lot, a lot of the fairy tales are all about that, you know. The prince and the princess are looking to find it. It's like a formula. And then you go through, and then they find each other in the end, and you go, oh. And it wasn't, they put on, remember the old-time movies, they would put, and they live happily ever after. What a sneaky trick. You watch the whole movie. You're rooting for the ending. You're rooting for the ending. You get the ending that you think you want. And then they put, and they live happily ever after. Well, what if the whole point is not to find the right one or the only one in the world, but to start to see that form, all form, was made as a defense against the holy instant, against the divine love and light. Why do why does Eckhart talk about the, the, the power of now? Why have all the deep spiritual traditions throughout history emphasized one moment as the gateway back to truth? Now, the point of power, they call it, the point of escape. And, and the time is the time of bodies. Jesus says, in no single instant does the body exist at all. It's always remembered or anticipated. Ooh. Tricky, tricky ego. Remembered, past, or anticipated. The past or the future, which is just a projection. You see how it's a sneaky trick. But the best part I think we'll see throughout the whole movie is that you see that the spirit is undoing the trick at every turn. Whether it seems to be an interpersonal relationship, whether it seems to be a relationship with food, whether it seems to be a relationship with filmmaking, whether it seems to be a, a relationship of anything that, that we would consider important in this world, or it's part of that divine awakening to the presence that we always are and always have been. Once you start to see that distinction, you are home free, because that trick is not going to work on you. Those fairy tales are not going to work. You don't have to wait till that end line and they live happily ever after. You can tell by your feelings whether you're going to live happily ever after or whether you've just bought the bait 
of the trick, hook, line, and sinker, and you feel your heart sink. Oh my gosh, loss. Oh grief. Oh abandonment. What is the trick that allows us to feel those emotions? That's what we're here to do. We're here to find it and to expose it for once and for all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Is it> yay? <laughs> Just a, a real quick comment. I love when you use the analogy of the movie theater. You know, in terms of watching what's on the screen, and Jesus is to our right and egos to the left. And I, I love that when Jesus is offering us some popcorn, I like to call that poppycock corn. <laughs> and every kernel I eat of the poppycock corn, which is just saying peace to this foolishness, peace to this foolishness, is, is another trick exposed, which I, I feel enlightens my mind up so I can get on that beam and get back in the projection mode and choose again. So I just love to pass the pot and cock. First time I heard that. No, it's it, it, it one time when I'm <laughs> in prayer, actually. I thought, thank you. <laughs> yeah, when we forget we're dreaming and we get caught up into the interpretations, it's nice, I think. Jesus is back there in the projector room laughing away. Ah, poppycock. <laughs> Jesus, that's a that's a world war happening. Ah, poppycock. <laughs> you know, Jesus tells us when people bring up history, they say, well, there are some serious um, things they did, you know, this uh, war and cancer and heredity disease and all these things. And and I I remember this line from Jesus that's so powerful. History would not exist if you didn't keep making the same mistake in the present. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. And he says, you want to take a lighter look at this world? I mean, you can talk all you want about terrorism. You can talk about, you know, ethnic cleansing. You can talk about nuclear proliferation or guns and gun control. You can talk about political issues and the politicians you like and the ones you don't like. But just remember, history wouldn't even exist if you didn't keep making the same mistake in the present. What that does is it gets you interested in the now. You know, then you get a little curious, like, what is this mistake? Because this is like a Groundhog Day movie, and, and I'm like, I, I'm like the, the character uh, that keeps putting his foot in the puddle, and, and the weatherman, and I keep stepping into the puddle and I keep repeating the same day over and over and over. Maybe there's a way out of that time loop. Mm -hmm. And we've done all kinds of time movies and the movie watches Guided Enlightenment, you know. Uh, there, there's the butterfly effect, there's Groundhog Day, there's even quantum movies next and everything. Everything Jesus seems to be doing is saying, I need to work with you in your mind because the mistake is in the mind. The mistake is believing in the ego. The ego invented linear time to keep you in a loop of not knowing who you are. 
As soon as you get the slightest grasp of that, then all of a sudden, the things in this world that seemed so important before, all of a sudden, start to fade. And you think, wow, my spiritual practice is more important than I thought. It's not just one piece of my personal life, it's actually in my mind where I need to practice. But when Jesus says, this is a course in mind training, you, you go, whoa. Kind of like Neo in the Matrix, like, whoa, mind, oh my gosh, that's what I was supposed to see. That I need to, that's what you want me to commit to, is the mind training. That's what you want me to focus on. And when I say yes to that mind training, I'm going to practice my Course of Miracles workbook lesson in a brand new way. I'm going to look at my relationships, all of them, with my dog, with my cat, with my parents, my children, with my neighbors, all of a sudden it's going to light up. It's going to be like, oh my gosh, this is what you were talking about. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He wasn't talking about a person-to-person relationship. He was talking about the mind. If I see that we're all connected in mind, that we're all the same light, we're all the same love, we all have the same creator, we all have the same spirit, then, then the mirroring will take on new importance. Suddenly I'm not going to have enemies. Suddenly I'm not going to have villains. Suddenly, like Frances was beautiful some years ago, she, she became fascinated with this Batman movie called Black Knight. Dark Knight. Hmm? Dark Knight. Dark Knight, and she went through the Dark Knight movie and she started to make a, a composite movie, a mini movie, to use it as a teaching device. It was so, she's like, oh, the dynamics are there, it's amazing. That's what happens in our community, we make these mini movies that are teaching devices from the original Dark Knight. And then, recently, she went to see Joker, because the Joker was a key, of course, traditional Batman villain in DC Comics. And she went to see Joker, and then she came out to it, the missing pieces. Yes. Now I can see all the calls for love that the Joker just couldn't reconcile this world. That's why he got off into seeming insanity, because he was calling for love and calling for love and asking to be loved instead of being leading in abuse and victimization and everything. And how deranged the mind can get when we believe in victimization and abuse. You know, it's it's torturous. And he was committed. He was committed. No, he was. He talked about the commitment word. He was committed to the insane asylum. Yeah. In in the egoic way. Yeah. 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 We're either committed to the ego or the spirit because who we are is right. is committed. Like we we cannot serve two masters, and so the mind that wants to give it over to its source is finding which source is it, you know. Then it it line up. But I was just yeah watching the movie Joker. I was telling David afterwards. I said you know this is how forgiveness happens. You know when we watch Dark Knight, how um, Joker is a villain did all these evil things, and there's a judgment imposed on what is right and what is wrong. And then you watch his life, Joker movie, then you watch all of those judgments got 
uprooted because you see the innocence and you see everything as a call for love,、mm-hmm. and that just happens. This is the exact kind of experience when we see the world from the spirit's perspective. Suddenly, everything that happens, all the conflicts, all the seeming right and wrong doings, become nothing. But we understand it's a call for love. There is a call for love. There is a call for love. That's all there is. But it's experience. You know, it's not like let's just put a label there and start to affirm with everything we see. It comes from a deep understanding when the vision got transferred. From the ego's perspective to the spirit's perspective, so that's what is that is what the spirit is guiding us to do. Seemingly using the symbols of this world, using our careers, even could be using our relationships that we already set up. But when we give the purpose to the spirit, the the result the spirit wants us is to have a different perspective, different vision. Forgiveness happens. In that perspective, then the next step is beyond. It's beyond forgiveness. Beyond, of course, miracles. It's it's not our、um, effort or anything anymore. So really, what we're still doing, seemingly here, talking about spiritual awakening, talking about it all, is really just reach that point of forgiveness. And the forgiveness is unconditional. Is All-encompassing. That is exactly what the guidance gonna do. The guidance does not guide us to reach a form outcome. The guidance help us to reach a different perspective. That's that's the end result. And it is not, even though we keep saying it is an end result, it is actually in the moment when we ask. It is that quick. It is that quick, David. I, I remember very early on when I was、um, in one of the gatherings. Someone asked David, "Is the awakening journey a journey or a point?" And David said, "It's a journey until it is a point." <laughs> and I, I really like that because because when you reach the point, knowing the the decision of forgiveness, the decision of of Wanting a different perspective is in your mind. It's it's your own decision. When you reach that point, you you see how simple everything is. This happiness is at your grasp. The happiness is is given by the spirit that lives within. It is so simple. But before that point, Jesus is saying, there's no need to keep talking about the point because that's not where the mind. Um, can receive it. That's why there is seemingly even the time is used to undo time. Even everything in the linear world is still used to undo everything. So we we have to see this huge purpose that the Course in Miracles is is giving us right now. This is the purpose of our life. Our life is taking on a different purpose. Give it all for to reach that point of release. When we find the release point, we just like unplug and then we get out. So that is really what what it is for. 
And I just have to say that you know relationships, it is fast track to reach that point. And Jeffrey and Susanna is one of the relationships that got featured in the movie. It's a romantic relationship, but there is also a family uh, relationship in the movie because we also know that just like romantic relationship, family concept is also ego concept because that is based on lineage of the body and you know this assumption of where the body comes from and that's that's where <laughs> oh you're really dismantling that one yeah all this sentimental stuff it's just there's an assumption of where the body comes from <laughs> mom <laughs> you know <laughs> just knock all the bowling pins because <laughs> it's beautiful the, the thing about it is you know it's like the call for love, if we can can answer that call for love, it reminds me we watched a, a movie just very recently about, um, it was made in 2018 of John and Yoko, Above Us Only Sky. One of the things that touched me was they're, they're in this big mansion in England on these 99 acres of green and trees and they're recording this George Harrison and all these artists are showing up and they're drinking tea and having their biscuits and and put, bringing together Imagine, which is was voted the song of the century. So the Holy Spirit Jesus is way behind this one. Imagine there's no country, I wonder if you can, nothing to kill or die for, you know, it, was, it, was, it touched me so deeply. But in the movie, there was, a, there was this guy that started to write, was writing to John, and John would write back and everything, and apparently, I think he was living maybe homeless on the streets of San Francisco, but I think he was a Vietnam veteran. Someone who'd just been through war, Vietnam War, it was all spun around, kind of like the Joker was all spun around with the whole clown thing and, and Gotham and the, the wildness of the city. This, he just was trying to make sense of it all. Started listening to John Lennon's songs, like a lot of us did, and feeling the connection, and then writes to John Lennon and then comes all the way across from the United States and shows up at their house on the outside, shows up at the house, and then what does John do? He goes out to dialogue and discuss with this man. The police are saying he wants to arrest him, he wants to get him out of here, and he, he discusses with him about the music and how he hears things and feels things, and he's still John's in his process, like, hey, I'm just a, I'm just a guy I'm just writing down music. If I'm saying I love it, I'm probably talking about Yoko. <laughs> you know? But there was something coming through John very deep, and it had touched this man so much that he came. And then John saw the call for love and said, Are you hungry, man? You want to come inside? It takes him, welcomes him in. Jesus said that, take the stranger in. There's something so loving and so humble when we see somebody like John Lennon welcoming this Vietnam vet in to heal. And I think that this, it's the same with the movie. I, I would really want you to just watch this movie with, with the mindset of see the call for love. Because there are people who have watched this movie a few times, and they'll say each time they watch the movie, the spirit is like showing them, watch this, pay attention to this. It's like 
It's just a reflection. All movies, everything, all stories, everything in the world is just a reflection. And, and the movie is not like a product. It's not like this thing that's a product. It has a beginning and an ending, and you're supposed to say it was a good movie or not. You know, how we critics, was it any good? Did it keep your attention? Da, da, da. It's, we can't really look at the world that way anymore. Like, for example, in this movie, there's a whole layer of just, if you just, if you were there and you just listened to the soundtrack of the movie with JP's music, it would be, you could zoom in towards the spirit from the soundtrack of the movie. Or there's, there's aspects where people would watch, the first time they might just be focused all on the relationships and what's happening, who's she, who's he, what's, what, what's going on there, this and this, and then the next time they watch it, and they notice all the nature scenes, like all the answers are coming through the juxtaposed nature scenes of the, the canyon and the animals, just at certain points. So if you really, you can allow the nature scenes, like Taoism and some of the different pathways that really rely on the metaphors of nature, that's all in there too. But it's like just, that's why we're even having this set up this morning for the movie, is just to say, just open your heart, open your mind, and come and watch it with the Spirit, and say, you show me what you want me to see. You watch the movie, you see how it's, it's the way of watching, it's the point. The way of watching is the point, not what we're watching. You know, even in the Course, you know, Jesus says, I am responsible for what I see, and I choose the meaning that I give to things, and everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I've asked. And people sometimes read that and they go, that, I don't like that. That means if I'm seeing a war, or if I'm seeing a starving child or a wounded animal, and that I, I, I want to see that. You know, I, I don't like that, that I want to see that. And I say, it's the way of looking. He's calling you to a new way of looking. That's the, the beauty of it. That's the helpfulness of it. There's a way, there's a point, there's a perspective where you can see it all in an innocent way. But, you, but it takes a willingness to forgive and to mind train. And even in the Bible, in Corinthians, it says you're looking through a darkened glass. You know, that's what the ego is. It's the darkened glass in Corinthians. We just, we just haven't been seeing in a correct way. We've been seeing a, in a time way. And, and I feel like when you watch this movie, every time you see it, every time I've seen it, it's like a prayer. I'm just praying. What is it? Show me. We need to do that with our relationships, with everything, in the same way. Yeah, and, and, and I think Jesus really wants us, if we watch this movie as life review, you know, there are char characters who are on the screen who are right here. So they, you know, watch it, but it's, it's our own movie as well. Because I, I made the movie with the prayer, it's all my mind. There is absolutely no other people's healing that is putting in here. It's everything that is that is expensive for 
Maybe in that very moment, what actually touches, what feel guided to put in. So in that way, I know it is all one mind going through whatever feeling. But like David said, the healing is is right now. It's actually right now because even for the characters, we are all so absolutely clueless, so clueless.、Um, we have absolutely no idea what kind of things going to come up in our relationships, in this project, in this awakening journey. That is not within our control. Sometimes it's really good to know what is within our control, what isn't, so that we don't waste time in trying to get obsessed to control the things we can't control. So everything that comes up is is not within our control, and you will see in the characters they're very transparent. They're all spiritual、um, seekers, and yet they have no control of what comes up. So all that they they could do in the moment is to to be transparent about what was going on. But really, our responsibility is now. We can accept the solution in our mind when we watch that, the interpretation that we invite to lay upon the happenings. That is that is really within our own control. That is the healing point. Yeah, have you ever had that experience where you watched the DVD? Nowadays, it's all streaming. Kind of stream, but you watch. Remember the days of Blockbuster and having the DVDs, <laughs> and then you watch the DVD, and it's a really good movie, and you're like, "Wow, it's really good!、Uh, it's fantastic, and everything." And then you go digging in the DVD, and the director's cut <laughs> is in there, and you've got the director giving commentary through the movie. And as fascinating as entertaining as the movie was, you listen to the director's cut, and you go, "Whoa!" It's almost like、uh, there was a, a radio show years ago. Some of you, this goes back ways. His name was Paul Harvey, and he had this beautiful radio show called "The Rest of the Story." Well, what we're trying to do is. Give you. That's why we're not just showing up to throw show a movie. We're trying to get you into the director's cut because really Jesus is the director. He even picked the director. He picked all the characters. He arranged the marriage. He did. He does it all behind the scenes. But imagine if you could be in the theater with and and listening to the commentary of the director's cut during the movie. Here's an example. When Francis met together, Francis had never made a movie. She was just praying, talking to Jesus, trusting. All the characters show up; they buy the cameras and everything like this. But then, when she's sitting around with everybody, she got to hear everybody say their prayer before the movie was even made. Now that gets fascinating because then you get the director's cut. She was able to listen to the characters speak. What their prayer of the heart, what they were hoping to heal, and what did you find as the movie was I, made? I, I, we shot three hundred hours of footage, and it's an hour and a half,、uh, an hour and twenty in the end. So among these three hundred hours of footage, I was sitting there for two years, going through every single thing we shot,、mm-hmm. and among them are everybody's prayer when they first. 
got together. They all came together. Then we say, okay, we're gonna embark on this journey that's very deep in the mind. Let's tell the spirit what is on our heart. We want to heal. Everybody said exactly what they want, and all on camera. So after I put together the story, because the story unfolded for all of us. Then we put together. Then in the end, I find a lot of footage that I couldn't put in anymore. But I saw all these characters' prayer. It was unbelievable. The prayers were answered. Every, Every single, single prayer, prayer was, was answered. answered. Isn't that mind blowing? Now that's the director's cut. Every single prayer was answered. There is another main character. Her name is also Frances. So she. She was the the cook that David mentioned. She was the main cook. She had her own restaurant. Was extremely skilled cook, but it was so tied to her self concept. It became a burden. So when you are when this is the only thing you identify with, this thing becomes your own prison. So she lost her spark. She was in pain. Her prayer at the beginning, which I actually only find out after I finished the movie, her prayer was she wanted to let go of this self concept of being a cook. Then this afternoon, I want you to see after you put out a prayer, wanting to be free from this self concept of being an amazing cook, what Jesus rearranged, <laughs> and she forgot about the. The prayer, and that's why it became intense because she completely forgot about the prayer. She just went through this rinse of what is going on, why, and and then when we first premiered the movie in Utah,、um, I think it was three three months ago, she actually went to there to watch for the first time. She saw herself on screen, her whole thing, and then at the end of the premiere, I said. Francis, this is your prayer. Do you remember? She's like, no, I don't remember. But my life is never the same after that month. It's completely different. So yeah. <laughs> that actually, this whole thing we're saying really ties into guidance. Because if you have a prayer to be happy, let's just keep it real simple. You have a prayer to be happy and free and joyful. And then, as you give yourself over to this. To listen and follow, like okay, that's my prayer, and I will listen and follow. You will show the way. I do not know the way, but you do. There is one within me that does know the way. I will follow. Then what that does is it just brings you around to something Francis mentioned earlier. Was it's in terms of the guidance? You may say, "Well, I don't. I'm not like Helen Shuckman. I don't hear the guidance that clear." You know. Go here, go there, call so and so, this and that. I know for myself when I first came across the course in 1986, I just—I think I had a prayer for healing. That was there, that was in place when the course came, but I couldn't hear Jesus at that point. So I just dove in. I mean, I used the course as kind of like an I Ching,、uh, where I would pray and open the book, and then I would get so into what was coming, I'd be like, oh. God, that I would sometimes read for minutes or hours from the point of the prayer. That would be my entry point. But you see, it was almost like an answer to a prayer. I was using the book, like people do with 
tarot cards or with dessert cards or Bible cards or whatever. And then when I got into it more and more, and I would pray and just grab the book, wouldn't even look, just open the book, and then I'd go, and then I'd do it again, and again, <laughs> like a little child. <laughs> <laughs> they never told me to do this in Bible school. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, good, good. That's me, that's good. You're, you're catching on. A little slow, but you're catching on. Uh, so I'd be like, so then I'd be like, I'd go out of my car and I'd be going along and do this little nudge, turn the radio on. And right when I turned the radio on, I would, before I would do it, I would pray. So radio too, Susie. Yeah, I can use the radio, I can use the songs. And then bumper stickers, billboards, people talking to me after I pray. They're like talking the answer. I'm like, oh my gosh. Jesus is like, that's right. I'm helping you see. Relax. It can come in many ways. You don't have to have a voice <laughs> in your mind going, yes, it's me. Turn right. You know, so then, and then after about two, two and a half years, then the same thing with Helen had. It was like this, this stream of thoughts, this presence was there in this calm, casual voice, friendly, and there it was. I made contact, like the Jodie Foster movie. It's like the spirit's like, we have contact. <laughs> the mind has made contact. You see the progression was Yi Chang, a little of this, a little of that. So in this movie, the prayers were there, and Francis saw them on the footage, and then the prayers were in. Then it was fascinating to watch the movie because you could see the situations were used and orchestrated in a way to make the prayer be answered in a relevant way. But if we believe in differences, if we believe in competition, if we believe in comparison, if we believe in all these strange mechanisms, we need a masterful plan to reach us in a way that makes it relevant so that we can actually have a form, Jesus calls it your special function, a form in which the answer can come and be made obvious. For me, I've, I have enjoyed music, so I've, had, I've been flooded by Jesus for decades with the most amazing music. Because Jesus is like, oh, we got a music lover. Oh, I'll slip into the heart with the music. Oh, yeah, I can get in there easy there. Oh, he likes movies, too. Oh, we have a movie lover. Okay, well, let's, I'll take him to the movies as many times as it takes. For the, for the message to get in there in the heart, for the heart to open. And with Francis, you know, I think there was a time you told me when you were in Australia where you actually met a documentary filmmaker. And so there's all these little signs and symbols where the, you know, it's like if you really look at the whole picture, you go, hmm, Jesus was like, it's all breadcrumbs leading us. Oh. Did I get you? Did you see? Did you like that one? Or look, at you, or look at that one. Oh, oh my God! You know, you keep doing that, and then you're taken into an experience, and that's what it was all for. It was never—you don't make it to heaven and look back on your war stories. 
There are no war stories. You just make it back to unified awareness, and then you feel just gratitude, like, thank you. You were blessing me every step of the way, even though I didn't see it at the time. It's amazing. That journey without distance. Yeah. 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 Great, man. Amen. Amen. Can you um, talk more about? Can you talk more about? Uh, you were talking earlier about um, being connecting with spirit and or, or really being spirit. I think being, being of spirit and um, forgetting that or getting disconnected from that causes guilt. I think that's what you said, yeah. but I don't totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's just that's a little metaphysical physical context that it's spirit and God and love are all it is. We call that eternity. We don't have an experience of it in time, but it's it's forever. All the love songs, I love you forever, everlasting love, you know, it's all that. That we have something in this world called amnesia. When somebody has amnesia, they forget. And so what the Bible calls the fall from grace, or the fall, it's described in Genesis, you know, in great detail, but with bodies. But the fall from grace is really an amnesia of forgetting God, and forgetting love, and taking on an alternate reality. This isn't really real at all. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a fiction. It's a, it's make believe. It's like our fairy tales. It's it's all make believe. It, it doesn't have any love and light in it because it's it's more like a projection on a screen. The, if you, even if you go to the movie, the lights back in the projector room, it's not. Those shadows are not really it. You have to go way back into the projector to find that light. It's the same in our mind. We have to go back, back, back. And so, what? The fall from grace or the fall from, from heaven seemed to be about was an amnesia. So what I like to say is now we're, like Byron Katie turned it around, we're going to forgive that fall by, I call it reverse amnesia. Because the very thing that we were, the ego wanted us to forget about, we're going to remember. And to remember that, we're going to have to forget everything that was made up. So let's pull a little reverse amnesia on the ego. All the things that we thought were important in this world, all the things that were dramatic and we were all bent out of shape and concerned about, we're going we're gonna to do a reverse amnesia. That's what spiritual practice does. That's what meditation does. That's what prayer does. When we come back into the moment, when a child is playing even, and the child is playing, and they get so into the joy of playing that they forget about time and space, and they lose track of everything in this world. And we've all had that experience, whether we're playing or not, we, where we're so focused that we, we lose track of time. That's taking us back into the reverse amnesia. Because the amnesia does involve guilt. When you forget what's real, and you make up a substitute for what's real, that is, there's a sense of wrongness, a sense of, of guilt. I, 
I oftentimes I call it, uh, it's like miscreation. It's almost like taking a God-given spirit uh, quality, which is creation, and then misusing it, getting into images, making idols. Remember how the Bible said, make no graven images before the Lord thy God. It's getting caught up into idols, idolatry, images, and then trying to misuse that creative ability in, in a way that's not creative. It's actually impossible. So because it's impossible, there is no actual wrongness with it. It's almost like the Spirit's just like calling us, wake up. It's don't, you can't do what you're trying to do. It's not like, oh, you've done a terrible thing, and now you're going to pay, which was the old way of thinking. But it's, no, you can't really do that. It would be like trying to bang your head on a concrete wall repeatedly, thinking, I think the skull is going to make it through that concrete. <laughs> and somebody goes, like, are you crazy? <laughs> you better stop that, because you don't have a chance. Spirit knows we don't have a chance. There's no way we can go wrong, really. There's no way you can mess it up, really. It's just the amnesia part has to be turned around. We have to have a, we have to answer our wake-up call. Now that's the exciting part. When all of us know there's a spark inside. Even Mother Teresa, you know, at some point Mother Teresa had to accept her calling. She was on a train in rural India, on a train ride, just going through the, the hills of India, when all of a sudden it was like, ding, I have a calling. And this tiny little woman from Albania, all of a sudden, on the train, she got, I have a calling. I'm going to answer that call. Wow, are we glad that Mother Teresa answered that call? Are we glad that Jesus answered the call? Are we glad that Gandhi? And for me in my life, that was the greatest, that's been the greatest thing, is just answering the call. Now, the stuff in the Bible has been misinterpreted. I remember in the Bible they talked about the Jewish people as the chosen ones. And in the Course of Miracles, Jesus says, well, actually, all are called, few choose to listen. Oh my gosh, that's a different <laughs> interpretation of the, the chosen ones. All are called you choose to listen. But he says, in the end, everyone will listen. Oh, isn't that soft? Why do we love that idea that in the end, everyone will listen? Because it's inclusive. They said that it's only the ego that said you can turn away, like the prodigal son, you can turn away and leave your father's house. Even in the prodigal son story, which is the parable that Jesus told over and over, the son who's feeding the the swine, the pigs, eventually says, this, this isn't the life I want, I'm just going to try and go back and see what happens. And it says the father is so delighted, the father is so delighted that he comes back, that he comes running down the road. And he says, we're going to throw, throw a party. Well, that's a little bit different than burning in hell. <laughs> <laughs> the father runs down the road and throws a rope on him and slippers on his feet and says we're going to have a party to celebrate. That's not exactly penance and punishment and fire and brimstone. And why did Jesus tell that parable over and over and over? Because he was saying you, you can think you can lose your way but you really can't. 
You're going to be you're going to be loved and accepted. It's just a matter of you embracing that love and turning that amnesia around. So for me, I actually had these what they call the course revelatory experiences where I went so much into the light that the whole world disappeared. I went way past time and space in these revelatory experiences. And then when I would seem to come back out of here, whoa, like Neo, whoa. And then secondly, whoa, so whoa, so it's like, okay. All right, now I, I got a really clear understanding of what's real and what's not. You mean turning the amnesia around is, is that was your experience to turn around? Yeah, that, that, that helped. Okay. And, and, but he's given us a course of miracles because he, he says that revelation is like you're getting a glimpse of, of everything, of the end, where, where this is all heading. It's heading to light. You get a glimpse of the light. But it's very, very rare. So that's why he gave us a course of miracles. Because miracles still involve the symbols that Francis was talking about, still involve these parables, still involve these words. That's what we're doing here. We're not doing a revel. We're not promising. Okay, come here. We'll all be white in the twinkling of an eye, and everything shall be changed. And, you know, yeah, that could happen. I mean, I know that God. You may watch the movie and go, "Well, see ya, see ya. Catch you later." That, I'm not saying that, but actually, the fear, he said, the fear generated by that amnesia is so thick, the fog is so thick, that a gentler path that uses the symbols, that's why we're all watching a movie, that's why we come together to use, to share these experiences together. Many of them are, are stories of our miracles in our daily life that we have all the time, and it helps to share those. Because something inside goes, yeah, that's it. I, I totally resonate. I totally relate to what you're talking about. So it's really reversing that amnesia. And that's where the, it's very joyful and very wonderful that we can give ourselves to this purpose. It's just some images popping through. I love when I hear listen to you speak, and it's just like boom, boom, boom. The metaphors pop up. But one that a couple that are coming to mind is um, that. Uh, the term existential angst, like there's an underlying something ain't right about this camel ride, you know, I'm from the Hafiz poem, but fish must learn to say something's not right about the camel ride. And I'm thinking about a, a, a room, um, that existential angst being like a, a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And so every time I get vertical or I turn it over or I ask for help, and then it's like the Holy Spirit will help remove a rocking chair. And I feel the lightness of that. And then if I'm not allowing that and going in that direction, it's like I'm going across those tire spikes and it feels like I'm in the right direction, vertical. But if I keep trying to make the horizontal work, it's like backing up against those tire spikes. It doesn't feel right. And I can't, I can't put enough stuff, substitutes in there to feel good. And I, I think... To her question, for me, that's the that's the guilt. That's the, the camping out in the guilt again that now I'm more aware of because of how I feel. So when I remove the rocking chairs, and I'm throwing make some metaphors up here, but when I re let practice forgiveness, release the rocking chairs from the room, 
the cat starts to settle down and this is a peaceful place and it's like, hey, just let go of the rocking chair. It's great. But if I try to get make the world work, make my special relationships work to get that that boastful promise, it's the forgetting. I, I, I forget the horizontal point of view and I'm back in the romantic ideal trying to make that work one more time. It was like that movie, um, The Truman Show. And, you know, at the end where he's, headed, he's exiting, he's, he's found the edge of the world and he's walking out. Once an image came to mind, and I was researching some images because of that movie, and there was a, an internet site that put movie memes together. And they had that picture of Truman standing at the door, bowing, bowing up, but they replaced Truman with an image from Showgirls, which was a, a sexy female form from the movie Showgirls, and they, they called it Truman Showgirls you know, mixing memes, but that image of the showgirl standing in the doorway struck me like nothing else. And I've heard you say, it was like, no, nothing so blinding as perception of form. So if, if I've got to move past the forms, get vertical, move past the forms, and I think when I don't, when I try to back up and go recapitulate or relive a specialist fantasy, it's like backing up. The, and hitting those tire spikes, and it's a gut punch. It's like, okay, something's not right here. And it's like I'm putting a chair back in the room of cat, you know, filling that rocking chair back up in the room, and it's a feeling. It's just I'm in I'm horizontal again, and it's helpful. It's good to know. But it's like, okay, get vertical, we'll get back into that point of view where it's the Holy Spirit singing to me the romance, the divine romance, the, the hymn of the pearl. Type of thing, but anyway, thank yeah. you. Just yeah, it's beautiful. beautiful. I love to hear that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, those, those things with the movies. I just been watching a movie in a theater like that. And you mentioned Truman Show, and I just the tears starts to roll down my face when I'm watching Truman Show, and and then Sylvia gets through and gets on that in the Truman Show, and she's we just see her just watching. She's just praying, praying, wanting Truman to be free of the Truman Show. She wants him released from that show. And yet, when she gets on that set, when she gets in the set of the Truman Show, that's almost like Jesus getting into the set. Like the Christ presence is now seemingly taking on the form of, of, a, of a man 2,000 years ago. There's cause of great rejoicing. That's what all the, the Christians, oh, come all ye faithful, and all the, oh, holy night, you know, there's a great joy when there's a symbol that's now appeared in the dream world that's just pointing beyond the dream world and saying, this isn't the kingdom of heaven. It's, mm -hmm. it's here and now, but you, it's everywhere, but you don't see it. But I'm here to tell you it's, it's real. Love is real. God is real. Even Buddha came so close, he was like, emptiness, emptiness. Yeah, that's a big piece of the puzzle. You've got to go to the empty mind, you've got to empty your mind of judgments. But Jesus made it all the way through, and he's like coming now. And when Sylvia makes it on the Truman Show, I can just feel her love. And when they first meet in the library, he sees her at a dance, you know, and there's eye contact. But when they meet at that library, and they gaze in each other's eyes. I just feel all this love. Like she wants him out of the show. He doesn't even know it's a show. And then she takes his hand. And she's, if we don't go now, it's not going to happen, she says to him. 
That's what Jesus was saying to us too. The kingdom of heaven is hand. If we don't go now, if we don't go in now together into this, it's not going to happen. The ego is so thick with its time goals and ambitions and careers and everything. If we don't go now. And then they're at this thing at the library and she takes his hand and she goes running to the beach. And then when her father comes, they're trying to get her out, get her off that stream, get her away from Truman. She's delivered too much truth for that character. They come and drives up, and she's like, "No, no, it's all fake. It's all for you." It's, it's just it's, she's grabbing the sand, and she's trying to, even in a matter of seconds, to deliver her message. It's, it's not real. It's all a show. It's all a setup. This isn't really it, you know, because he wants to. He, he's tired of it too. He, he wants out. And she's there to say, yeah, you, you're, on, you're on the right track. So that's why I appreciate you, Stephen. You, you're like listening, but you're trying to, any little metaphor of cats and rocking chairs, anything. I've never heard that one before. The exit door of the Truman Show has a showgirl. That's pretty profound. I have the picture of my phone. I'll you got the picture. You showed me. You're in the rate. That's pretty good. You get all the way to the escape from time and space, and it's Marilyn Monroe. Oh, that's, thank you. That's exactly right. Thank you, Jesus. Take you by the hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's a, these are, you're coming up with a really good, these will stay in our minds. If we're thinking about the escape from time and space. But that's what we need. We need to realize nothing so blinding but perception of form. The sight of form means that understanding has been obscured. The goal of the curriculum, no matter what the teacher you choose, is know thyself. There is nothing else. Wow. That's Jesus speaking directly to us, directly right now. He's like saying, don't be dismayed. Don't be fooled by the images. There's a goal. Francis has been saying it can't be found in form. Our goal is not to make a better future. Our goal is not to make the world a better place. Our goal is not... We were talking Lennon now last night, when you say the word spiritual community, then the, the associations can come up. What does it look like? It doesn't look like anything. It feels like love. We want our relationships to feel loving, to feel connected. But we have to let go of the darkened glass that's mentioned in, in Corinthians. We can't seem to keep looking for it in terms of form. And how would you live your life right now, if you just, from this moment forward, if you just lived your life without fear of consequences, without concern for the body? That's, that's what I was confronted with back in, in the early, maybe the mid-1980s when I started to have these spiritual awakenings, and the first came in 1987. And then I could feel Jesus wanting me to commit to give my entire life over to this spiritual awakening. And of course, you probably would have the same kind of things that went through my mind. But what about my goals? What about my ambitions? What about my career? What about my family? You know, but, but, but you can imagine 
if you get a calling. I'm sure Mother Teresa went through that on the train. You know, she got her calling, and then the ego, but, 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 you know, what about, what about? And then when you give yourself over to the calling, then everything, the means are given with the plan. You don't have to make the means for yourself, the means are given. But that's why we need these symbols, because that's the way it went in my life, in Francis, when we met in Australia, and then when you had the voice of Nusa, that huge, huge heart opening experience, then things in your linear life just started to fall away. And I know even over the years when you've talked about them, people were going, those are like major things. You just, they're falling off of you like they're nothing. But you were like saying, well, they didn't seem so major to me. I felt like I had no other choice. Like when you answered that call, when you said yes to, to the call of God, to spiritual awakening, then the things that the world would say is important started to just fall off you, like leaves falling off the tree in the fall, you know, where they just fall down. They don't, they don't struggle and, and say, I'm leaving you, tree. I'm leaving you, branch. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Whatever you thought was going to happen. Sayonara, goodbye. And the tree's not like, oh, please don't leave me, leaves. Please don't leave me. Don't you leave me this way? I won't survive. No, the tree's not thinking anything about that either. The tree's not concerned about the leaves. And the leaves aren't concerned. It's all just in beautiful divine order. If we could learn to see our relationships sometime like that, like leaves falling off the tree, we could learn to see our career. We could learn to see the people in our lives. The people in our lives are just witnesses that are there to help us wake up. But when they disappear, we should just bow and say, thank you for playing your part. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for using that beloved image for helping me loosen my mind from the ego. And, and we don't have to... We don't have to try to bring them back. We don't have to try to fix them. We don't have to change them. We can let the even people who leave our perception and just bless them and say thank you. We don't have to make a big deal. We don't even have to have a funeral service. Really, you know, it's like a time of joy. We should. We should. That's what I used to wonder about funeral services. Why we go to them and it's like so we're like so heavy and dark and all this grief. And, and it's like, you know, and, and everybody was counting. Did you see who was there? Did you see who didn't show up? No, I actually uh, was not thinking that. Sorry for your loss. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. Well, uh, what about the gain for all of us of the blessing that this person offered in his life? You know, and oh, so and so stayed away. Okay. I'm not thinking that, you know, it's like, it's all perfect, it's a quantum experience. Even a funeral is a quantum experience. Everyone is supposed to be there is there. And, and oftentimes just for remembrance. It's a time of remember the joy. Some of you know the story where I love my grandmother Lillian so much. And she lived to be 99. And then when she passed at 99, um, they invited me to come to her funeral. 
Uh, so I thought, sure. So I went there and they had somebody to give the eulogy and, you know, I was just showing up at the, at the grandson and everything. But then when I got there, um, they asked me to speak, to get up and, and speak about her. And so Lillian was in my mind, since everyone's in my mind, so I'm like, this is what you want? You want me to speak at your funeral? And she's like, I'll speak through you. You just get out there. I'll get my own. Yeah. <laughs> lived a life of joy. Why wouldn't we think that someone who lived a life of joy wouldn't want to share that joy and one more time at the funeral? So I get up there, and oh, Lillian had so much fun. All the love, all the joy, all the laughter comes through with everybody there at her own funeral service. She's enlivening that whole thing up. And then um, when I got done, people were crying. They were crying because they felt, they was like, she's here? I said, yeah. <laughs> she, I, I, she's talking to me and she's talking to everybody. And everybody felt her loving, joyful presence. And everybody it was like, everybody was crying. It wasn't a dry eye in the whole room because they felt it. And then, the next part of the script was to go to the cemetery. So then we went to the cemetery and everybody brought all these flowers, bouquets, 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 to put on the grave. And she's like, it's not over, David. I need your body again. <laughs> so she comes in again and she has me go over and start picking up all these flowers and giving flowers away all the people at the cemetery take this in remembrance of me. Don't leave it Lay on, a, on the grass of a body that's underneath. That's not me. Take this. Take this beautiful flower. Take it home with you in remembrance. Put it in a vase. Brighten up your house. Don't leave it laying on top of some dead body. It's like, but you see how, how pleasant that was as a teaching device. Remember me. Remember the love. So we would sit there over the years. We would talk, and she would say, "She would say, Dave, I can't believe that a God of love would send anybody to hell." Yeah. And I'd say, "Yeah, I can't either." <laughs> and we would have these kind of talks because even though she was raised Christian and I was raised Christian, there was a sense of the love was the whole message. The love was what was real. It wasn't about guilt. It wasn't about penance. It wasn't about sacrifice. Those were all just ego smoke screens about the real teachings of, of Jesus. So, but that's just an example again of, of if you surrender your life over to Spirit, you don't know what we none of us know how we'll be called, what will be asked of us. But we do know it's for healing. We do know it's to shine the light. We do know is to share the love. We, we know that intuitively. We just don't know the form until it's given to us. But that's the way that it works. So here we are, cozy, sitting by. Yeah. It looks like a real fire. <laughs> it's just another cozy simplier. It's a virtual. <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. Never had a gathering where we had a nice cozy set like this, a beautiful place, and and then a nice fire flickering in the back.
I've been sitting here with this constant feed going through my head, and I might suddenly realize, oh, I'm supposed to ask this question. <laughs> We're talking about relationships. And, of course, the first thing that we think of is you know, marriage relationships, friend relationships. And one of the things that comes to my mind right off the bat is then there is that individual relationship with Jesus. And that's huge. I know it is for me. Yeah, am I hearing Jesus or am I hearing you know, what am I actually will I? Uh, will it come through or will I be the one person in the universe that gets ignored? <laughs> all of yeah, all of this stuff. Um, I love that you guys are also graphic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but just, I mean, there's so much, pardon the expression, crap, you know, surrounding Jesus as both symbol, as man, as the only, um, you know, all of this stuff. And so that's a huge relationship that has to be healed or has to be tuned into, I would think. And if you could talk on that, that would be great. And then, then just, it's every relationship. You said, you know, the trees, the flowers, the bees, you know, the, the wasps, the yellow jackets. Uh, there are relationships everywhere. And that's also, you know, part of what we tune into as a relationship. So if you could take those as themes and address them, I would appreciate it. And I think so with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, well, this, is, this is good because uh, Alice, is that your name? From, from Texas brought up the idea of the amnesia, but, but if we say that this is a make-believe uh, identity or a make-believe uh, cosmos of time and space to blind you from the truth, or it's like a veil drawn over the light. And we tie it into your question, where I would say that um, aside from looking in science, like was it the Big Bang, or how did, how did the cosmos seem to come from gases to solids and all these things, even if we went back prior to the Big Bang, it's like, wouldn't it be cool to ask the question, what was the motivation for the Big Bang? Because we, we sense it as an explosion. <laughs> so what was the motivation, and Jesus tells us what the motivation was prior to the Big Bang. Of course, there's, a, there's love even prior to that, but, but the motivation for the, for the cosmos is hatred. So the world was made in hate. That's, we have to be with that for a minute. It's part of the amnesia, you know, it's part of us forgetting love. It shouldn't surprise us too much. If love is real, and we make the ego puts in a fake cosmos that, that there's hatred behind it. It's not love at all. There's a lot of beautiful non-dual teachings in China and India, amazing non-dual systems, but, but they don't really get back to that. I mean, some of you have studied maybe Eastern uh, Lila and the worlds of play. You know, from a happy dream perspective, when you forgive it, it's, it's Lila. But, but it doesn't say the world was made in hate. So the emotion of hatred is what is that block. In fact, Jesus says, he says in the Course, until you realize that you must recognize the full extent of your own self-hatred, you will not be willing to let it go. 
Now, I've heard psychologists talk about the unconscious mind, but that's that's really being very direct until you look upon, or willing to look upon the full extent of your own self-hatred. You will not be willing to let it go. That's kind of the answer to what Lynn was asking me from that two-hour ride. Like this mysterious hurt in his relationships and his darkness, and it's just, you know, it's very, it's a dark journey. And, and yet, until I can recognize the full extent of my own self-hatred, I will not be willing to let it go. So, this hatred made the world. Or some of you remember the Course, Jesus says, Fear binds the world. <clears throat> Forgiveness sets it free. Wow, what a chant. <laughs> You go into that chain. Fear binds the world. Forgiveness sets it free. You start to see that, that the hatred was making us mindless. That's part of what the amnesia is about, is to make you forget your divine mind and get so caught up with the specifics and flesh and bodies and birth and death. It's the whole reason of hatred that made this world is to forget amnesia, to forget the love. Well, uh, another word that came to my mind is separation, like hate and separation. Yes. Almost like hate and separation are the same. It's the same motive. Division, separation is not union, it's, it's division. So, once you start to see that the world was made to cover up the hate, to deflect away from going back going inside, looking within, it, it was all made as a distraction device to keep you mindless, then you start to come back and realize that the whole point of spiritual awakening is to come back to your divine mind. Now how does that fit with your question with relationships? Well relationships, in terms of the world, whether we're talking about the, the yellow jackets and the bees, or the bodies, or May West, or or someone is standing at the gate of heaven trying to distract us away from heaven, it still comes down to this idea of separation of private minds with private thoughts. And that fits into our theme of the movie. That's why we, we talk about transparency. Because the world was made to keep you mindless, and in terms of relationship, you have, in order to have that direct connection with Holy Spirit and Christ, you have to go remember your mind. There's only one of us. There's only one mind. But the ego has tricked the mind into thinking that there's seven billion separate minds, one for every person, and then pass them out to the plants and animals too. Let's <laughs> be you know, generous there. Trillions. <laughs> that snail has a separate mind. We would say, you know, all sentient beings have separate minds. No, no, it's all trick. There's only one of us. There's only one mind. And Jesus describes that in the Course where he says, mind reaches to itself. It does not go out. Within itself is everything. You within it and it within you. Whoa. That's a mind. And this whole world of bodies and things has been made time and space to forget that mind. It's only the mind of God, and Christ is an idea in the mind of God. It's not a male or female. It's not, not even masculine or feminine. There's no masculine or feminine in one. It's just, just one, one, one. It's all just one. So, in terms of relationships, that's why 
we have to let these private thoughts, we have to let these secrets come up. Because it's secrets that are part of the ego that makes the perception seem fragmented, it makes us seem separate. When we listen to the ego, we look through its filter, we see nothing but separation. Separate colors, separate places, faces, races. I mean, all racism and prejudice is based on the belief in separation. All sense of inequality is based on this belief in separation. All belief in abuse is based on the belief in separation. This is the key, this is the gateway back to Nirvana, the Kingdom of Heaven, is through this. I call it quantum, you know, it's quantum, it's the quantum field that the scientists have <coughs> So, how do we reach that? That's where we're going to have this weekend retreat. That's what the movie's about. Francis and I have been, how many times to China? Like six times. Francis and I have gone over to China six times, and there's a man that we met over there in China, his name is Nasheen, and he was the first one to bring A Course in Miracles to China. We got to meet the first man to bring the book over to China. And he was a most loving host of us. He was friendly and generous and gentle and kind. And he actually, after we left China one time, he went, oh David, you've made it so practical. You've taken the introduction to A Course in Miracles. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. And you've made it so practical. No private thoughts. No people pleasing. Mm -hmm. Here's where you find happiness. He said, you took the, the deepest, the, the whole introduction, the summary of the whole course, and you put it in into your relationships, into your community, into your daily life, into your practices. That's the movie that you're going to watch. You're going to watch a group of people that come together for 30 days to practice no people-pleasing and no private thoughts. If you have a jealous thought, Ogigo says, you better be careful. You share that that jealous thought, wham! <laughs> if you share your greedy thoughts, if you share your judgments, you're going to end up alone in all the world because everyone ego says is going to know how dark and how sinister you really are if you expose your thoughts. And the Holy Spirit's saying, Give it to me. Jesus is saying, give it to me. If you can do it in your in, in your closet, great. <laughs> you can pray and hand over all your private thoughts, all your judgments and grievances, you know. Jesus said that two thousand years ago. Didn't he say, Go to your closet and pray? That's in the Bible. He's like giving us first thing. It's the same thing with Mary Baker Eddy, you know, Mary Baker Eddy, she gets she has such a devoted life and yet People come to me and they go, well, you never know about this Christian science stuff. And I'm like, what? And they're like, well, you know, people praying and being taught to pray and instead of take medicine and then people die and all these things. And they said, no, no, you missed her message. You missed it. Her message was pray first. Put your faith in prayer. Put your faith in guidance. 
Put your faith in inner listening. And then the blind can see, the lame can walk, and then there is no sickness, and then there is no death. Why? You don't miss the first part of the teaching. <laughs> don't give me all this fear. Have you prayed? <laughs> Have you given your problems over to, to Christ and to, to God? Pray first. That's all she was saying. Pray first. And that's all we're doing in the way we live in our community. If somebody's not feeling good, do you repress it? Do you bottle it up? Do you stuff it down? Yeah, that thumb. That's how it feels sometimes if you feel like you stuff it and you stuff it. And then what happens? You seem to grow sick and old and die. And you wonder, where was all the joy? Where was the love and happiness? And Jesus is like, well, perhaps you should look at that thumb or that hand. If you've been stuffing it and stuffing it, and you've got grievances and judgments, and you just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it, don't you think that would keep the guilt by just stuffing it, jamming it down in the unconscious, unconscious mind? Wouldn't you rather let it up? I mean, even the symbols in the world, when you have a cut, are you supposed to keep it covered and isolated? Or are you supposed to take the band-aid off and let some light and some air get to the wound? Maybe we could apply that to our mind. Are we supposed to stuff it down and stuff it and push all of our stuff into the unconscious mind? Or are we supposed to expose it? That's where we come in with transparency. Because of course you still need to rely on rights for this. I always tell the story of my friend JP. He, he came, to, I was doing a, a gathering in Hawaii and I spent the first day talking about uh, no private thoughts and exposure and release and transparency. And so he was there with me the first day and he heard me and he thought, this is fantastic. I'm going to go tell my girlfriend all of my secrets, all of my judgments, probably about her and her body and whatever you are. So anyway, he just took the first part of the teaching have no private thoughts, and he went off, and then he came in for day two, because I was in the founder's building and everything, and day two, and he, he came up to me, and he said, I exposed everything to my girlfriend. It didn't go well. <laughs> it did not go well. And I, he said, is there some other component that I'm missing that you're going to talk about? I said, yeah, I'll talk about that today. Discernment. <laughs> Which is just another word for Prayer and guidance. Let the spirit be your way of your unwinding. Don't don't try to indiscriminately unload your guilt like a from a machine gun. <laughs> no, don't spray the machine. You know, you pray, pray, spray, <laughs> pray. That's good. And so we have to remember that we. Have, that's why the guidance is so important. It has to be under Christ's control. We have to really be humble. Pray and listen for this undoing. But I think above all, the thing that the movie really shows, it really shows the transparency in action, like is it's not some theoretical idea, but it's actually a living practice. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey just give us the time 
signal. But yeah, this afternoon after the lunch break, that's where we come back. We come back for another. Um, we're gonna do the movie, but before that, I think we're gonna talk just a little bit more about practical application and maybe even um, get into some experiential exercise of how to truly let yourself um, allow the thoughts to be exposed and still feel safe about it. So this is what we're going to do this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy your lunch.